In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Okay. Okay. No. They're puppets. No, and <laughs> Muppets are puppets. <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster Hulk armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cine Snob Podcast. I think all of us spent that intro time just looking around the room. <laughs> well, I was looking at at this wall thing. Uh, I guess what are what would you call these? These were old blockbuster placement cards. Right, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Uh, did do you replace these ever? What? You know because, how long that took me to put a wall of blockbuster cards? Like cycle stuff in and out. Yeah, because I I'm seeing stuff I don't remember seeing. Like oh I, yeah, you'll do that all the time. I have like another fifty that I need to f- put up. But I don't. Oh, you do really swap them out. No, no, no! I was just gonna add to it. Oh, because I like this strictly ballroom. I I don't recall ever seeing that, and it's literally right above my head. <laughs> so it's the, it, we've talked about these before. This just seems like such a waste on Blockbuster's part, like printing out these yeah. placeholders. Oh yeah. yeah, now that you're now that it's done, I have a stack of them at my house too. Oh, you haven't done anything with them though? No, I uh, I was going and, and looking at them, and then. It was like it was just stacks and stacks. It was like I'm not sitting here and flipping through all. Weren't of Weren't they like a, a dime a piece or something? No, twenty for a dollar. Oh, so like a nickel a piece then? <laughs> yeah, a <nickel laughs> I had to do my math. Real yeah. Quick. Oh yeah. Hold on. Anyway, happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. It's 2015. Welcome to episode 32 of the Sense Not Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. Oh, the music's not done yet. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Uh, I'm Cody Viafania, and uh, I'm Kiko Martinez. Is the music done? Yeah, I'm going to turn it back done. up. There we go. Right. <laughs> so uh, 2014 has come to a close. And it's now time for us to uh, look back on the year. Yeah. What did you think of the film going year in 2014? Cody, I know you always have an opinion on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I. You know, for me, it's another disappointing year. Um, what would make it not disappointing? Uh better movies <laughs> i mean it's okay here's the thing here's kind of how i knew that this year was a little bit more disappointing than normal um out of you know i i usually not exclusively but um usually the end of the year movies are the ones that end up making my top 10 list yeah. stuff that's award in awards consideration because I, I you know i truly think that they save the best movies for the end of the year and this year i only had four movies that came out in this like this the the awards section of the year. I guess we would call from October on. Um, I only had four movies in my top ten from that. Looking at mine, I think I do too. Yeah, and it, it's. I mean, I don't have the top tens from last year in front of me, but I don't think there's any way that it was the same last year. It usually isn't. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I was I was I was surprised by how little I liked the awards stuff this year. 
Um, nothing was really – everything seemed to underwhelm me. There, uh, there were some – for me, some high-profile disappointments like yeah. Yeah, Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher for sure. Um, you know, I thought – and even the ones that were good, I thought were not – like like stuff that we're talking about as potential award winners, you know, stuff like The Imitation Game. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wish it was better. And, yeah, I agree. And so that, that's sort of where I'm at. You know, you look at the potential Oscar stuff and, and you don't really get excited other than maybe a few – movies and so yeah that's that's kind of my over like i i would say my general thought on the year is just that it was weak um there are a lot of a lot of good movies a lot of stuff that i liked a lot but very few of them reached you know a level of greatness where you would you know that you would hope for so yeah i always want to <clears throat> i always want to stand up at the end of a movie and just like give it a standing ovation if i really loved it i remember why don't you do it? Who's stopping you? <laughs> well, I've done it before, actually. Can you can you do a one man standing ovation, or do you have to have like a group? Or, or, I know, like right away when I see something great that just knocked me on my ass. Because when the credits start rolling, I'm just like, wow, that was. You need to do the the one man standing ovation and then glare at the people around you. Yeah, like why aren't like, you standing yeah, up, assholes? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I I I thought it was a disappointing year too because of the same fact that you know a lot of these. Uh, High-profile movies were just some of them were just okay. Some of them were really good. They just nothing knocked me over. Nothing, you know, blew me away at all. Um, of course, I was totally disappointed with my favorite director, P.T. Anderson, and what he did with Inherent Vice. Um, but I know you never stopped talking about that. Other than that, like <laughs> other than that, um, I mean, Foxcatcher as well. Um, you know, Big Eyes, just a lot of good movies that just didn't get over that hump to become great movies. Yeah. Um, what I was surprised with, though, and, and, and I know you guys uh, pick on me for it sometimes, but just my um, my idea or my completely my, – my, how my mind doesn't work on the same level as y'all's when it comes to like the superhero movie oh. and I'm, how unenthusiastic I usually am about them. This year, everything superhero, everything um, like – that those kind of movies are actually really good. Yeah. So I was surprised about that. Um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and X Men: uh, Days of Future Past mm-hmm. were really, really good. And then, uh, of course, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was great. So there were some bigger blockbuster movies that, in, in other years, um, would have just been you know all right another you know summer hit. Yeah. But for some reason, these really stood out. I, I tend to judge movies by the movie going experience by like the summer. I mean, I, I know that the awards things are always going to be there, but how much I enjoyed what was meant to be enjoyed on a large scale. Mm-hmm. And I think this year was, was decent enough. Uh, I mean, the, the, obviously the standouts are Captain America, X-Men, just like you mentioned. And, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is probably the best blockbuster film I've seen in years, just in terms of, being smart and being enjoyable at the same time. Um, I would agree. I think Cody would probably say like Avengers or something. Yeah, Avengers would be on my list. Um, And then Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, while I didn't think it was as original as it should have been, uh, it is nice that a breath of fresh air, I guess, if you want to cut it a certain way, I mean, it is part of the Marvel Universe, but it's not a sequel. It felt separate. Yeah. In, well, in I mean, they, they did that. They did that on purpose in case right. it tanked. Right. Uh, and you know that that became this phenomenon. I think is uh, is a pretty refreshing way to end the summer. Yeah. You know that people 
people bitch and moan all the time about sequels and spinoffs and remakes and stuff. And yeah, to see something that was... And hopefully, I mean, we're going to get so many of them in the coming future that hopefully it stays at that level. But I don't know. Yeah. So I think this is an anomaly. Three great superhero movies in one year. Um, maybe I don't I, think that's happened before. Yeah. Well, maybe they learned their lesson. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if that trend can keep up uh, when DC starts throwing stuff out. <laughs> because I, I, I just feel like that's going to be a disaster. Eh, yeah, we'll see. Speaking of which, we did get an Ant-Man teaser. Yeah. Or we are getting an Ant-Man teaser this week. We got a teaser for the teaser. Yeah. Did you see it? They released it ant-sized. Yeah. I did. I saw it. The teasers for the teasers, they, that just has to stop. Yeah. It really just has to stop. <laughs> we, as a culture, we've, we've willed it to happen. Did you see the, the screenshots of them trying to blow it up? Yeah. Yeah. It's just... We're making fun of like what they were seeing. All right. On that note, let's go ahead and move on to our top 10 of 2014. We're going to do this in a round robin style. We're going to start with number 10. We'll each talk about the movie. If it's in our list, we'll talk about it wherever it's at. Mm -hmm. If not, we'll just talk about it anyway. Yeah. So, Cody, why don't you start off? Okay. Do do I get a drum roll or anything? No you're, drum roll. You're manning the soundboard, but oh, I don't think uh, I don't uh, think we need a drum well, roll. Well, no, we'll, we'll especially you know. for number ten. We're gonna need a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number ten on my list this year. I am going with the Lego Movie. Ah. Um, you know, I I I I guess I. You know, I think every top ten, at least in my opinion, needs a movie that you just really like. And enjoy something that <laughs> shouldn't that be every movie? <laughs> well, no, I mean like I mean reserved for a movie that that might not be the best, but one that you enjoyed the most or enjoyed to a great degree. I think there's I think there's a distinction between those two. Um, you you put on you take off your serious film critic hat and you put on your yeah you, Lego Man hat yeah exactly. <laughs> and I think I think that is my movie this year is uh, is that. And I usually like to reserve the number ten spot for. For something like that um so rather than go with something like the imitation game which was right there at the end i went with the lego movie because uh you know coming down the wire we 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 watch a ton of movies and i found myself popping in the lego movie a few times mm -hmm. um and just enjoying it more every time i watched it um you know lord lord and miller um phil lord and chris miller had a really good year this year yeah um and uh and it's just such a funny original movie. I mean, the idea of taking a block, a building block, and creating this entire universe, an original movie out of it was uh was 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 pretty great. And um you know, Lord and Miller have a very specific sense of humor and it's very it's like it's super fast. It's uh it's a lot of uh, a lot of jokes at, at once. Uh, vis uh you know, visual jokes, uh you know, non sequitur stuff like that. And it's amazing to me that they're able to bring their sense of humor into both live action and cartoons mm -hmm. because it's the, it's the same sense of humor. It's just on a different level. And uh, I love the voice casting in here. Chris Pratt's great. Morgan Freeman's amazing. Um, and Shaquille O'Neal is even in it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just I, – I really like this movie and um, and I think that uh, it's it's one of the movies where – you know I, I wrote about this in my top ten, but I think you see – a lot of movies that are that have a lot of adults themes in them mm -hmm. and there's a lot in there for adults this is something that is hilarious for adults and it's one of the few animated movies that is like non-stop funny with all adult adult humor um yeah this was my number five movie of the year uh i liked it I'm supposed to not reveal it 
No, it was we talked about it. But you got to say it's it's later on my list. Oh, you you got to tease it, Jared. You okay, this them... is also on my list. <laughs> if anybody cares, it's number five. Uh, <laughs> but I agree with you there. It's uh, it's one of those movies that there used to be. I think when Toy Story first came out as the first computer generated mm-hmm. film, I think it became a shorthand for people to think that uh, as these CGI computer animated films started to populate the box office every year that it became a shorthand that, Hey, this is going to be something that has winking references for adults. Right. And I think that a lot of the movies have gotten away from that. They've just thrown in pop culture references for the sake of it. Uh, but this is one that, that has like really deep cuts in it. Like for, like I mentioned, Shaquille O'Neal is, he's there as part of the 2002 NBA all-stars, yeah. which is a Lego set that was released in 2002 that I actually have. Uh, <laughs> It included Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. Uh, but it was like, that's a really bizarre reference because nobody's going to remember that except for serious-minded Lego collectors. Yeah. And, you know, it's, that's going to sail right over the kids' heads. And it's not, a, you know, it's not a, quote, adult joke. Right. But it's a joke for the adults in the audience. Are you ready for this? That's a... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, the another one of my favorite things is just that they made it look like stop-motion animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see fingerprints and stuff. And uh, occasionally some of the sound effects go – I wrote about this in my top ten. Some of the sound effects are like vocal-generated sound effects, especially yeah. when uh, – um, like the boat going? What's his name? Um, the actor with mustache. Damn it. Plays Ron Swanson. Oh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Damn it. He plays Metalbeard, the pirate. Yeah. And anytime you see his ship like take off, it goes – Yeah. It looks, the, you get that sense of like a, a kid playing. Right, exactly. And yeah. that's what I loved about it so much. Uh um, I'm a little torn about the kind of schmaltzy live action stuff. Yeah. See, that's that's where it really got me. That's really? where that's where it kind of and th- this happened the first time I saw it. I liked it up until that point, and then I loved it. Really, and then um, and then the rest of the movie came the second part or the second time I watched it and, and was brought up. I, I really like it. I, I think that that's um, again, it's such an interesting touch. When's the last time you've seen something like that happen? Osmosis Jones. <laughs> well, and exactly, and that was a multi Oscar winning film, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there was uh, I, a friend of mine, my best friend out in L.A. He's a big time uh, Lego guy, mm-hmm. and I asked him, uh, like, is there? Because I know there was. Is there speculation on how much money Will Ferrell's character's Lego collection was worth? Uh-huh. And he said it was something like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. Just because it's – they're so expensive to get started and there was just so many yeah. there. Well, I loved – you know, there's certain scenes during that moment. Um, you know, the scenes where where Emmett is, is speaking through – or he's – the kid is speaking through Emmett and yeah. that stuff. And I, I think it's a, it's a really nice touch. And, you know, there's a lot of puns in there that's there, – There's a little bit of uh... – Lego wanting to have its cake and eat it too in that scene to me because Lego is not a cheap hobby. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about it. I do because I've bought my, if you can believe it or not, <laughs> I've bought a share of my share of Lego sets. Really? Uh, that does not sound like you. They are expensive to get started with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a big Star Wars ship or something can get, you know, the most expensive Star Wars thing I think they have is $400. Wow. Um, and then this stuff, they discontinue it, and then it becomes this super rare collector's item that gets its price driven up on the secondary market. So it's not like it's, you know, and they 
and they sell these things in sets. Yeah. You know, it's like, here, build the Death Star. So if, if some kid's going to destroy his $400 Death Star, maybe the parents aren't going to be so happy with it. Right. But uh, that that's the only real problem I have with the movie. Do you think we can see trends now after this movie was so successful? I mean, are we going to see like a Play-Doh movie maybe? Later on, or I, I think it's totally was totally dependent on Lord Miller. Yeah, uh, because they've made tons of like direct to video Lego stuff. Uh, right. I don't know if you've seen like they made Lego Star Wars movies and and things that are just it's just this computer generated junk. I think people were just worried about a movie like Lego Movie. It just sounded so like generic and cash grab. Like, oh, they're just yeah, going to use it exactly. as a you know. Just use the Lego name and put out a pile of crap, but turned out really good. Yeah, it's funny that both of you have this in your top ten. I don't, but I, I've probably seen it um, way more than y'all too. I it's <laughs> been on HBO lately. Oh, has uh, it? So every, I'll stop on it and and watch it. And yeah, I've seen it probably three or four times yeah. at this point. Oh, okay. I, I still need to get the Blu-ray just because I. I've got that. Yeah. God. It was a. They had in, a good Cody. Black Friday sale on. I know it. you rubbed it in already that you bought the Blu-ray. And keep rubbing it in. All right. Speaking of Lord and Miller, uh, Jared, your number ten. My number ten is Twenty Two Jump Street. Um, again, I like to reserve my, uh, like you said, my top ten, my tenth spot for something that uh, maybe is a little lower brow. I don't want to call it lower brow, but just something a little less uh, prestige. Mm-hmm. I think this year was easier than other years. Yeah. Um, but this is a movie that. I think gets a little overlooked because it's a sequel and it was, I think it was funnier than the first film personally. And just a weird deconstruction of sequels that maybe, maybe not everybody appreciates, but I love, I love that meta humor crap. I mean, I can't get enough of meta humor. Uh, And it, uh, it was, it was, uh, was it an early summer release or was it a late spring? I don't remember. Uh, I feel like it was late spring. I feel like we saw this quite a while ago, but we we did a podcast on it, so it must have been the summertime, though. Well, we started the podcast in April. Did we? Yeah. God, time flies. Wow, we're almost to a year. Yeah, we're twenty weeks away from a year. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, so anyway, it was uh, it was one of those movies that that I just laughed my ass off at, and appreciated it on this weird smart level, just because it's. Lord and Miller basically throwing every con- sequel convention at you and commenting on it along the way. Right. Um, and I, I hope that they haven't painted themselves into a corner. We talked about it a couple weeks ago about the Sony leak that mentioned them t- reteaming the uh, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill with the Men in Black guys. But uh, if it if this ended the series, I'd be totally happy with it. I mean, yeah, and that's something we talked about when we reviewed it. Is that you know. Should they uh, should they even um, continue with it? You know, they've they've sort of exhausted the idea of the meta stuff, and I think we both agree, or we all agree on that. And by the way, it was it was June fifteenth. Oh wow! Because we started the podcast in May. I'm sorry, oh. uh, but it was number, it was the fourth episode we did. Twenty two Jump Street. Yeah. So it was early on. Uh, yeah, Co- Cody, the official archivist. Of- yeah, yeah. I'm the I, what we call the historian. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, with you know, I I have mixed feelings on Twenty Two Jump Street. Um, I I I, th- I like Twenty One better. Um, I think that the and I watched this again maybe a couple months ago. Um, I think that it's very top heavy. The movie. I think that it starts off 
the first like hour of the movie are amazing and really funny. And I think it tapers off a little bit towards the end. I think it's a little by design, though, isn't it? Because don't they kind of say like, okay, yeah, we we finished, and then a little bit plot wise, at least they uh, recognize it. I just remember a and a female antagonist that yeah. comes in that just didn't really do it for me. But I thought I actually thought twenty two was better than tw- tw- the second one was better than the first one. I don't think, yeah, I personally, I don't even remember the plot all that much, other than it was kind of a mirror image, and it, it Ice Cube have, kept telling him to do the exact same thing they did the first time around. Yeah, it was kind of light on plot. Um, <coughs> the, thing that, the, the thing that I felt was, you know, the, the difference maker between 21 and 22 was, was Brie Larson, mostly, and also Dave Franco. I I, I, uh, yeah. I I think that those characters were, you know, the, the the side characters were a lot stronger in twenty one and twenty two, and I think that's what made the difference for me at least. But, yeah, I I miss Dave Franco being there, but he was there, just barely. <laughs> All right, uh, Kiko, what about you? Number ten. Uh, number ten for me is uh, probably a movie that wouldn't have made it in another year. Um, I don't really think about keeping the number ten slot open for something that's maybe. A little more mainstream, but I did this year. It's uh, f- I-, I gave my number ten to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I just love this blockbuster movie. I thought uh, like Jared mentioned it er- in earlier in this podcast that it's one of the best uh, uh, high, uh, you know, high. I mean, big tentpole movies that he's seen in a while. And I would say the same thing. I just I thought it was really smart. I thought that the uh, CGI uh, motion capture was the best I've ever seen in my life, and I'm sure it's going to get better as the years go on, which is crazy to me because... That's so weird, right? It's, it's just... It's at, it's at a level that, I mean... Could it could it look more real? I mean, for... I it mean, has to. I mean, it has to somehow get better. But I, it's just... It's so weird to think about it. You look at it now, and you're like, how could this get more realistic looking? I also think that it's crazy that, that, the, that the studio that does this, Peter Jackson's studio... Uh, what, Weta? Oh, uh, Weta, yeah. The Weta movies look so much better than every other's, like, uh, um, uh, sorry, I, I'm blanking on the term. Motion capture? Motion capture than anyone else. Like, mm-hmm. the Weta stuff looks incredible. Yeah, but even past the motion capture itself and the, you know, the, that great CGI stuff that they give in this, I mean, the story uh, just, it's, it's so tragic and it has, like, this great depth to it and. I mean, we're talking about monkey characters here. Um, you know, <laughs> apes, ape characters, sorry, apes, apes, apes ape characters here. Uh, but you really get a sense of like, you know, that they're these real, you know, fleshed out type characters or these creatures that you know just really worked. Um, so yeah, I thought that uh, um, uh, director helped me here, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves uh, he did a great job. I, I can't wait to see what he does with the third one. Um, I think Andy Serkis, I mean, he's never going to get an Oscar for this work. Um, but um, as things get more technologically advanced, maybe something like that could happen. I, don't, I know that there's a there's kind of a pissing match between uh, – at least between animation, like animators mm-hmm. and this motion capture stuff. I know Pixar used to be a big uh, uh, opponent of calling the motion capture stuff animation. animation. Well, the, I think the difference is um, – I think people there, there's there's actually an, a, a debate whether or not motion capture is a true performance because not everything is captured by you know the actor the himself, actor itself. There's a lot of computer generated stuff as well, yeah. and so you kind of have to figure out the balance of how much of that was the performance and how much of that was 
But, I could the, see that. But, I mean, but then you, you're on a slope. Like, well, if somebody's in heavy makeup, or right, uh, you know, they have a great costume, mm. uh, or they have a prosthetic nose, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, I to go touch on a point. This is also on my top ten. I won't say where, Cody. There you go. You got to build. You got to build. So that when I get, so that when we get to that one, I can just be like, yeah, mine's Donald Planet of the Apes. Next. <laughs> uh, well, eventually we're gonna all. I mean, like. We're going to meet in the middle. There's a plan already in place. Uh, But no, like you said, this movie treats them as real. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't treat them as a special effect. This treats them as if they had a bunch of talking apes on the set. Right. uh, I think it makes all the difference, you know, as opposed to it being like a spectacle. Because, you know, we're used to this seeing like this big set piece of, you know, I'm looking back to like Jurassic Park or something. Right. Not that that constituted character work but this is this is where half of your movie more than half of your movie's cast is computer generated apes and it doesn't treat them like just a special effect you're supposed to gawk at it's just apes hanging around in a you know a rock quarry or whatever it was uh and it was just really really surprisingly well done because i liked uh rise of the planet of the apes yeah i did too for the most part Mm -hmm. i thought it got a little dumb at the end but I, I never suspected that something so great would come after that. You know, exactly. the sequel would be just such a, a huge step above what came before it. So it was, I was really impressed by it too. As I, as was I. So hopefully, um, whatever comes next is it dawn rise? Is there going to be another I, I, adjective? I heard another adjective that means exactly the same thing. <laughs> I heard that start of the planet of the Apes. I heard that this year it's going to have uh, or the next one it's going to have one less word in the title. And, uh, they're going to take an of out? Yeah, so it could be like, you know, Behold the Planet of the Apes or something like that. <laughs> behold the Planet of the Apes. Uh, planet of the Apes, go! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> All right, so now we're at uh, our number nine. Number nine. Cody, go ahead. All right. Number nine. Uh, I'm going to go... Well, I, I, I'm not going to go. I did go with Ida. Um... This is a Polish film. Uh, it's about a wait. Hold on. It's about a nun. How many times have we talked about Ida in like the past month? It's been mentioned in passing. I don't think we've. we've... I haven't seen it, so I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna sit here and, and listen. This is uh, this is the most subdued coming of age movie you'll ever see. Uh, it's it's subtle. It's uh, you know it's shot in black and white. It's in four by three. Um, and it looks it's amazing it looks amazing it's it's the second best shot movie of the year um behind birdman and um and it's this really kind of yeah it, you know what the the thing i love about it is that it's a really sweet movie but it's also really dark mm-hmm. in a lot of places but uh but the main character of ida is played with such a sweetness that you kind of you know there's a lot of uh moments that will just make you smile to watch this this nun in training basically um decide to try to get some life experiences that she's never had um you know basically the movie's about her she's about to take her vows and she finds out she has a relative she thought she didn't know that, that she didn't know she had and so she goes on this journey to find out more about her parents and um and yeah um like i said it's it's one of the one of the most uh, subtle, uh, almost uneventful coming of age movies you'll see, and uh, it's well it's well acted, well performed, um, 
and uh and it's just a really a really good movie yeah um i was kidding when i was um yawning at the, at the beginning pretending like i was asleep because this is on my uh top 10 too you'll f- find out what number it is in a bit uh but yeah i agree with you i mean i think this is i would say this is the most beautifully shot film of the year it's going to be uh disappointment when it's not nominated for cinematography because i think it deserves it but um yeah the two uh actresses in this um i can't pronounce her last name they're both named agatha. but they're both named agatha uh, but the the young girl who plays the nun is is just really great. Um, she reminded me kind of of the uh, breakout role that that other girl from Blue is the Warmest Color last year. Oh yeah, kind of uh, made. Um, that's a movie I saw. <laughs> that's a movie I saw. There you go. Um, but yeah, you should definitely check out Ida if you have the patience for a you know. Well, it's not. I mean, you say patience. It's like an hour and twenty minutes. It's really that's short. true. But still, I mean. You know, people aren't, and it's on. It's on Netflix. Netflix Instant. If you want to check that out, uh, easily, easily. It's accessible. not on Quickster. No, it's not on Quickster. It's not on Crackle. Uh, uh, yeah. Cool. Number nine, Jared. Number nine, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Um, this is of like we mentioned already the the three strong comic book movies right. this year. I think this was the strongest. Um, I think Captain America was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. It's the strongest one. I wrote in my uh, in my top ten and my initial review of it that this is the first film in the Marvel universe since it really got its feet under it that feels like it it changed the game going forward as opposed to just kind of maintaining the status quo by the end of it. Um, you know, everything since the Avengers has been, uh, you know, we had the high profile stuff like. Uh, well, we obviously, had Iron Man three and Thor: The Dark World. They just sort of were their own adventures that were separate from the universe the Avengers was operating in. Mm-hmm. And this is the first movie since then, you know, of those big three that changed the game going forward. Right. I think I said that already, but it, you know, there, there's consequences from this movie that you know, she, Captain America finds out that uh, Hydra has infiltrated Shield. And that basically crumbles the entire structure of the Marvel Universe. And it was just so well handled. Uh, directors, uh, it's Joe and Anthony Russo, right? Their mm-hmm. names? I just call them the Russo the brothers. The Russo brothers. Um, came from, basically came from Community, the TV show. They'd done what? They did Drillbit Taylor? They directed the pilot of Arrested Development in many, many episodes. TV, d- so TV cut mostly. their teeth in TV and then just stepped into this... Uh, giant big budget action comic book movie and i think just knocked it out of the park um and they're they're the people who are going to take over eventually you know for the joss whedon role because they're right. gonna they're gonna direct both parts of the avengers infinity war yeah so. I, I just i thought this was just such a it was just so invigorating to watch uh i loved guardians of the galaxy i didn't like that it didn't change the formula much uh, this is something that actually changed the formula, and I think it really, really stepped the game up for these Marvel movies. And I hope that going forward that they take their cues from this movie, which sounds like they're they're going to with the next Captain America film, the Civil War. What was the fake title that they gave it? Do you remember that? It was like the Serpent Society. Serpent Society, yeah, I think that's right. God, I wish it was still called that. That's such a better name than Civil War. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Remember- I, I wasn't. I wasn't this... I wasn't all over this movie. I thought it like of the of the comic book movies we've mentioned. This was my least favorite, 
But I also do appreciate the fact that it kind of played off as a political thriller yeah. versus a comic book movie. That's something that's that's an impressive part, no matter how I felt about it. I think that that is something that could definitely we could use more of is seeing a different spin on, yeah. the, on the superhero movie. Kiko, what do you think for Captain America? Oh, yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. I My favorite superhero movie of the year. Most people would say Guardians of the Galaxy. Um. But yeah, I thought that the uh, the uh, that fight, that uh, conflict between Captain America and the um, Winter Soldier, the Winter Soldier was great. <laughs> the Winter, <laughs> the title characters. <laughs> the, That's what the movie's called. The, yeah, the Tim Riggins-looking character. <laughs> Poor Taylor Kitsch. <laughs> yeah, like he was perfect for that role because he just had the hair for it, and yeah. then they just. I thought the action sequences are awesome. This was I mean, that. There's that elevator scene that was great. Oh, that was so great. That was the one they released as a teaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just the way it played out in the film. I, the climax was awesome at the end. I mean, everything was great about it, action-wise. Um, and then the story itself, the political thriller stuff was great. Um, and then, um, who was it, Robert Redford? Yeah, Robert Redford was the... Gave it a little class. And I think gave it, <laughs> lended it that uh, that air of the 70s political thriller. Right, you know, right. Here's this guy. Uh-oh. They're coming for you. Damn it. Uh, okay, let's move on. Number nine for you, Kiko. Uh, number nine for me is a movie called A Most Wanted Man. Um, this is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, final performance as a lead actor. You're going to be able to see him in next year uh, in um, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, which will be his final performance. Um, but this is his, uh, see, Most Wanted Man. See what happens when you mm-hmm. get it? Most- get it? We didn't even need the soundboard for that. <laughs> um so uh this is uh a really a really great film that uh Hoffman uh he does he gives us a really subdued performance uh it's uh, about uh terrorism and 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 the way that it works in um uh, I guess the 21st century and seeing these characters kind of uh try to figure out if this one man is a, a terrorist or not um it's a really smart movie it's uh, based off of a John Le Carre uh uh, book, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's the one that wrote Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it's really right. a slow burn type film like that. Um, like Ida, that it's, you're going to have to have a little bit of patience. It's a really slow moving uh, film. Uh, Rachel McAdams stars in it. Um, who else is in this movie? Uh, Robin Wright is in it. Robin Wright is great. Uh, she plays like an FBI or a CIA agent that's. An American. American. She's the American in it. Right. That's. Because- because Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a German. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah, he plays a German. Um, uh, and they're working together, but she, there's something about Robin Wright that's not right. Uh, <laughs> you can't Dub-dub. pin it down, right? Robin Wright pin formally? Yeah. All right. Let's just move right on <laughs> over that joke. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, this is the most intelligent film that I've seen this year in terms of script. It's just a really smart uh, screenplay, and you know, you just got to – you just gotta, you know, work. You gotta work your way through how slow it is, but I think that at the end it kind of pays off in, in a great, yeah, ending. I love. I, I like this movie a lot. It it barely missed my my top ten. Um, you know, the, the great thing about it is that, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman does play a German, and he plays it kind of. You know, for for a little while, you forget that it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, if he didn't have his, you know, the the look about him that you couldn't mistake <laughs> him for anyone else, you know, he kind of he kind of blends into this 
you know, accent in this role. Um, and like Kiko was saying, I think this might have my favorite ending of a movie all year. Mm-hmm. The end to this movie is really, really great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's the, it's, uh, it's so well played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, uh, it's, it's just, it was, you know, watching this is just a terrible reminder of like how much it sucks that like, this is the last time you're going to see him. Oh yeah, totally. In a major role because he's so good in it. Right. Like, even in, even something like the hunger Games. Oh, it was great. I mean, it was just, it seems effortless. Yeah. And it's probably tinged a little bit by the fact that, you know, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still haven't watched this movie. It's sitting at home on my TV. It's uh, it's really good. It's a good it's a good little uh, uh, you know it's I it's, I hesitate to call it a spy thriller because Philip Seymour Hoffman would be the most boring spy ever. Well, I think that's the point of it too. I mean, you think of spy movies, and I mean, just like Tinker Tailor. I mean, there's it's really slow, and you know nobody's jumping out of windows, and yeah, you know. I don't know, poisoning people from vents and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, they're all, these are, these are all spies, but they just do it in a reserved kind of way and it's it's really interesting to watch so um yeah so that's number nine almost one man check it out number eight cody cody uh number eight i am going with a movie that is on all of our lists uh i just had it a little bit lower uh and that's wild um this is uh you weren't supposed to reveal where it is on our list i didn't but it's clearly on it's clearly (laughs) higher up okay (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. This is uh, John Mark Vallee's uh, film. You know, he, uh, he he directed Dallas Buyers Club last year, and um, and and it's sort of a uh, you know. I think a couple of us wrote about. I know at least that it's sort of, uh, and we we talked about it. It's a Danny Boyle esque film in that you kind of see someone who's in a precarious position. And then you figure out how they got there. Or God, there's a lot of <laughs> noises here today. We got planes and well, the most wanted man. You know, you heard the police sirens. Yeah. Now, while they're looking for somebody in the wild, what's the helicopter? helicopter search party? Um, this is a you know, wild a movie that's that's basically sort of like a, a meditation on lost uh, or loss, not lost in the TV series, <laughs> but, but loss. You know, um, the idea of uh, you know, losing both yourself and losing, uh, losing loved ones. And, um, and that sounds so cliche. I hate the whole idea of like, Oh, this woman's going out into the wilderness to find herself. That's exi- but that's exactly what it is. I know exactly. But when I first heard about it, I was like, uh, this yeah. is, I wasn't really interested in, you know, the story well, itself. We've seen it. So we've many seen times. it a million times yeah. before, but the way that they, executed is just really great yeah it's it's well directed the flashback scenes and the editing is really well done uh reese witherspoon's really really great in here um maybe the best performance she's ever given i, I would think, say i think so um yeah i would say too i'm, I'm a lover in election but you know <laughs> yeah different, different best adult performance i think we yeah say. uh oh adult. she gets pretty adult i guess she does the uh, the best part of this movie for me was um, was her relationship with Laura Dern, her who plays her mother in the movie, and I think Laura Dern is the best part of the movie. Period, um, and I think those are the scenes that really pushed it up into the top ten for me. Um, you know, there, it, there's just a certain there's a certain quality to Laura Dern's performance and her character that makes uh, that makes the events of the movie that much hit that much harder that's sadder yeah that much step yeah exactly that's exactly right 
And I think that that's all due to Laura Dern. And if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting, I'm going to be pissed. And I don't think she is. It's going to be really close. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I think it, it will be close. I think she'll get in, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I, I love this movie. It is way higher on my top ten than, than what are we? What are we? Eight. eight? Yeah, it's higher than that. Um, so what's your eight? My eight is. Uh, hold on, sorry. I wasn't ready. Really, I was still talking about we're Wild. Still talking about Wild, Kiko. Yeah, but we're going to talk about it two more times. No, no we're not. We're no, just going to touch on it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know. We're that not going to like repeat yeah. thoughts. No, I, I again with Wild. This is this is one of my favorite films of the year. Obviously, it's very very high on my list. I won't say where, but uh, there's only one film that's better than it that I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it just this hit me really hard, like emotionally. Right. Um, there's a scene near the near the end of the film, near the climax, where this little boy sings her a song, uh-huh. and I thought that was just kind of a gut wrenching moment uh-huh. for the character and then for the audience too. Because Reese Witherspoon's basically playing, uh, I wrote this in my top ten write-up, kind of a, Nick Hornby wrote the screenplay, who's an author, wrote things like uh, High Fidelity. Right, one uh, of your favorite authors. One of my favorite authors, things like High Fidelity, uh, About a Boy. And it's they tend to be about these assholes that, uh, that, that go on some sort of journey to half-ass redeem themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't always come out of it all the way clean, but they've been a jerk. And I think this just plays into that, that formula so well. Um, you know, she, she had these things that were shameful to her and, uh, is going on a journey to repair it. And it's just, it's really well done. Cause I don't think it doesn't end schmaltzy. It doesn't end with her, um, you know, like you would expect in, in just some sort of like cleanse, cleanse of this, yeah, demons, she's just you know? ready to start a new life. Right. Uh, I think that's the point of it. I mean, you just want to start – you want to do something that's just out of your realm um, just so you can say that you did it and then start a new life over again. And I think that they show it really well when they talk about, you know, when she meets one person on the on the trek that, she was go- that she's going on or on the trail and he's like, oh, yeah, you got to really, you know, train for this. And yeah. she didn't. Right. She just went out and did it. And that's why you see her struggling so much and – and you have to remember how small Reese Witherspoon is. So I love the fact that this is this tiny little, you know, five foot woman yeah. with his backpack on, just trying to do this all by, by herself. You can see the struggle, the physical struggle that she's taking on, not only, but, you know, there's this physical struggle, there's an emotional struggle. And there's a vulnerability that she's never had before. And this is before, this takes place in the mid 90s. Right. So it's not like she has a cell phone or a GPS or anything. Right. So she's just really out there in the middle of nowhere. And I, I was just. I was really, really, really impressed with this movie, and especially Laura Dern, like you both mentioned. Uh, just the body language alone mm-hmm. in her performance is is something that I think is it's it seems it's you look at her and it's so very Laura Dern, but then this just takes it a step further. Yeah, I think it's the best thing I've ever seen her in. Yeah, well, I've only ever seen her in Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've seen more than that. But okay, number uh, what are we on? Number eight. Mm-hmm. My number eight. Uh, a movie we I think is it on all of our top tens. Uh, yes. Citizen Four, documentary uh, about the uh, NSA leaks provided by Edward Snowden. Um, what's the director's name? Laura. Laura Portress. I think yeah, Portress. Portress. It kind of it's, it's sort of a moment in time captured with incredible luck. Uh, she starts receiving these emails, these encrypted emails from a a a, a guy nom- uh, nominating. What am I trying to say? <laughs> Calling himself Citizen Four. And they meet in a hotel. Is it in Bangkok? No, it's in Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Uh, 
She has no idea who he is. Right. And it turns out that it's fucking Edward Snowden. And you see – and of course she doesn't know this at the time. But seeing this you know, a year after the fact, you're like, holy shit. This is how it all went down and this is the account of how it all went down. Yeah. Um, for a documentary that, that looks like it came together on the fly, it's really, really well put together. Uh, and, and just kind of the, the ratcheting up of the tension that comes with it. Yeah. Um, you see Edward Snowden as mostly a normal guy. You don't see, we talked about this, I think with the review, you don't see the Julian Assange, uh, egomaniacal. Yeah. Larger than life type. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I'm I'm glad he's not like that. I would have. It would be really hard to to have any kind of sympathy for him. To whatsoever. root for him. <laughs> but you see the, the tension ratcheting up as the, as these people realize that, shit, their safety is going to be compromised because of this guy. Yeah, anyone anyone who has any sort of relation with him is in big trouble. Right. Um, normally, uh, I like to stay away from issue documentaries. Yeah. And we like to stay away from them on here because it just – we just end up looking like idiots half the time. <laughs> uh, but this is, I think, one of the really important ones. And it's just so – it doesn't take a side to me, it seems. Um, I mean, it, it kind of touches on the scariness of it all, yeah. but it doesn't really paint Snowden as a hero. Uh, it just well, paints him as a person. Well, I, think. I think it really does a good job of that because it just puts the camera on him and, right. just, and just shows exactly what happens. It's, I mean, this is happening in real time, so it's kind of – I mean, maybe they edited stuff, but I don't know if they really did. It, I it, think if – you know, it does it, – interesting thing, it leaves in some of his paranoia. Right. Yeah. Like about the IP phone that's in the room. Well, and it's it's long takes too. So yeah. it's, you know, it's – yeah, and I think that's the that's kind of the most interesting thing about it is that it is, it is Edward Snowden in his own words. So you don't get the media perception of him or, you know, people coming out and trying to say how much damage he did or people coming out in favor of him. Yeah. You get to hear Edward Snowden talk about what he's doing, talk about his motives – um, and you get to see you, you you get to see it happening, and that's that's what's totally. I mean, the footage in here is just mesmerizing. Like you cannot look away because you know you're seeing the whistleblowing happen. Like that's right. that's exactly what the movie is. It is a it is a live account. Well, not live, but you know it is a it was a it's a real time account of him revealing everything. And I totally give. I mean, we need to give so much credit to this director, Laura Portrius, because I mean, if she she had the you know. The sense to pick up a camera while she was doing, I mean, she's, she had, I guess she has a degree in, or not a degree, but a background in journalism, maybe a degree. I don't know, but, um, just to pick up the camera and, okay, I'm not sure what's happening here, but I feel like Like something's happening. Yeah. yeah. So let's do this. And, and as it just, I'm just wondering what's, what's going on with her crew as this was happening. Like, they probably, they had their jaw, they, they must, we had her, I had my jaw dropped as this was happening. So I'm just wondering her in this room with this guy watching, them make news as right. you know what I mean? Like you see Snowden dropping these bombs or dropping these, you know, bombshell uh, leaks and then turning on the TV and watching. Yeah, that's, what, and, and yeah. And this is the video footage that you always see of him. Yeah. You know, they shot that footage. Yeah. And that's, that's, that gives it sort of like a, a surreal quality that I really love is mm-hmm. that you can, it's because it's because you see it unfolding day by day. You see the news breaking on on American uh, in the American media. So, like you said, you will see Edward Snowden just lounging in his hotel room, watching coverage of stuff he's leaking. Yeah, oh, stuff so he just leaked like fifteen minutes ago. <laughs> right. Or you'll see you'll see him on a giant TV screen in Hong Kong. Yeah. He's on like you know the giant like Times Square size things. You'll just see a picture of Edward Snowden. <laughs> 
And it's just, it's so surreal to watch this happen, watch it unfold, and then watch him watch the media coverage and the fallout. <laughs> it's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely insane. And it plays like a political thriller, which I love too. I mean, there's scenes where, there's a scene where his, his fiance finally comes to stay with him and they do a shot of them like cooking or washing dishes or something. Yeah. From... Did you know she's a stripper? Is really? she really? I read that somewhere. I assume that's true. <laughs> I assume that's I read true that, it was I, on the internet. <laughs> I read it that she was actually like a like a dancer. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe. Because I think they – didn't he live in Vegas or work in Vegas at the or somewhere in Nevada? He Well, he, at the end, I thought he worked in Hawaii. I thought, Maybe. Didn't he say I don't it? remember. I'm sure there's strip clubs in Hawaii. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh, okay. So, yeah, great movie. Uh, it's on all of our top tens mm-hmm. somewhere. Kiko, what's your number eight? My number eight is a French film – not a French film, sorry. Belgian. Belgian film called Two Days, One Night. And it stars the Oscar award-winning actress Marion Cotillard. Uh, she won her, uh, she won her uh, Oscar for a movie called La Vie en Rose, where the she Dark played. Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, this movie is about uh, a woman who uh, finds out that she's going to be fired um, because they don't have enough. Um, money to keep her on the staff uh, of her job. So uh, what she has to do, her her boss tells her that she can stay on if she is able to convince her coworkers not to take their yearly bonuses, which will add up to what her salary is. So she has the weekend, uh, which is the two days, one night, um, to go around and talk to, I think it's maybe about 16 different people, uh, to try to convince them not to take their bonuses for the year so she can uh, – have a job on Monday. Um, so it plays out like exactly like I'm talking. I mean, they, she goes one by one to each person. Um, it plays out very realistically, um, talking to people and telling her why uh, she hopes that they do this. Some of them jump on board with her right away. Some of them tell her that, you know, they need this bonus and they can't get by. They have kids. They can't do it. Um, it it's a, it's a really uh, intense film. Um, I was, you know, I was keeping, I was literally keeping account on paper, like, okay, she only needs five more people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how into it I was, um, as she was going through all these, um, um, each, each one of these people and taking a, a bus, I guess, to, to meet with all of them across the city. Um, so yeah, Mary Cotillard, this is all on her. I mean, she carries this film all the way through, uh, the camera's just on her going through each one of these, um, situations and, and, and the, um, the, ending is just really uh genuine and, and it plays out like you know real life and so i thought that the whole film itself was just uh, uh really timely in the fact that you know i mean maybe not as much as it was back in 2008 but you know the uh the crisis that america went through and you know keeping a job i think that's why a movie like kind of like up in the air yeah was uh really uh timely in its in its uh portrayal of how much people need to work uh this is the same thing and i'm not really sure what the belgium economy is like now or if that plays into it but um i'm sure it does um you know i saw i've seen this movie too um i i i i don't agree with you on the on the account of the ending being genuine i thought that it wasn't but i think i think something that you didn't mention that's a big part of this story is that it's sort of a study into severe depression um because one of the reasons why she doesn't have a job 
is because she missed a considerable amount of time due to depression. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's sort of a snapshot into the life of someone who is really struggling with that. And um, and you see it in, 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 in her performance. It's sort of heartbreaking because she – She's she's depressed and she doesn't even want to really do this. She she's, she just has to do it because yeah. And she's she's sort of being forced to do it by her family because she needs she needs she's uh, you know I think I think in the movie she's kind of the breadwinner right she's, right she's they, they they need both of the salaries from her and her husband in order to keep their family afloat right so she's doing it out of necessity when she you know ne- might not necessarily even want to and that's sort of the the part that makes it good it's so. Um, I well, I don't know what you what, what did you want at the end because I mean it, was, it could only have gone two ways. Well, n- I mean it, they take a vote on Monday. The, Monday morning is the 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 that's where everybody's gonna all eighteen people or sixteen people are gonna vote to see if they're gonna keep her on or let her go. So it could either it could have gone two ways. Either they fire her or they. I'm not talking about that. What are you talking about? I'm oh, you're talking are you about talk- her reaction to it. Oh, so to, that, the, to the outcome. I mean, I can't say it without spoiling the movie. Um, her reaction to the outcome. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway. Anyway, we're well, we're getting kind of lost in the. Yeah, I mean, I'll <laughs> I'll explain it to you later, but it's <laughs> it's the fact that something happened the night before, like literally the night before that, and then her reaction in turn just it didn't it it was conflicting. But you just talked about her her depression. Anyway, okay, we'll have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to number seven, Cody. Uh, a little uneventful here, but seven is Citizen Four, uh, on which we just touched on. Um, yeah, it's it's the best documentary of the year. Yeah, it'll win easily. Yeah, it'll win. All right, my number seven is Selma, um, okay. the uh, account of uh, the uh, Selma voting rights marches. Uh, this is the first, strangely, the first huge. Uh, biopic style film of martin luther king mm-hmm. yeah and we should probably be a little light on the details because we're going to be talking about it next week okay so yeah uh so and this is all this is on all our top tens all, all of our why, why are we just copying each other this year i don't know sorry so <laughs> yeah looking at my paper selma uh we will review it next week mm-hmm. so well, that's enough of talking about selma great movie though yeah and we'll yeah we'll we'll have a full review of it next week but just you know it's do we want to tease it at all, or do we just want to leave it there? Just leave it there. It's fine. All right. That's enough. Uh, Kiko, what's your number seven? Um, it's also Citizen Four. Oh, my God. Citizen Four as well. Wow. Let me yeah. breeze through number seven. All right, number six. <laughs> Citizen, Four, Citizen Four is a great documentary. Documentary. <laughs> I still can't say that I goddamn think, I word. I wonder if they're going to put that on like the DVD box that you just said. It's a great documentary. <laughs> <laughs> number, yeah. number six, Cody. Six is a movie that is only on my list, so nanny nanny boo boo to you. What is it? It is Blue Ruin. Um, okay, this is almost on my list. Yeah, it barely missed the cut, right? Because at one point it was there. Yeah, I that was it was going to be my ten spot, but uh, that the ten spot got shuffled around, and then yeah. I finally settled on Twenty Two Jump Street. Yeah, the ten spot is always a carousel for me. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so uh citizen four is um it's an it's an independent film citizen four is okay oh, cool sh- sh- nice blue ruin excuse me <laughs> it's a great documentary <laughs> <laughs> yeah blue ruin is a is a movie about edward snowden no um blue ruin is a, an independent film it i uh, kind of came out of nowhere yeah. um as and they, as they tend to do 
yeah. independent films. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes. I mean, sometimes you have, you know, your 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 distributors like Fox Searchlight coming out with movies Quote, that quote independent that have yeah, but they they have you know big name actors. This has nobody in it. Dude, uh, it has Eve Plum in it for like five minutes. The original Jan Brady. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, that's not nobody. And it also has Buzz from Home Alone. Oh, Hell yeah, Buzz. So, uh, Which, if if he had done what he does in Blue Ruin to during Home Alone, there would have been no yeah. wet bandits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, anyway, this is, uh, this is you know, it's it's a very... Blue Ruin is a very simple story. Um, it is it is your, your, uh, your typical revenge movie story um the difference between this is that it is like expertly crafted um it's really really well directed by jeremy solner um who uh i think he's only made one feature before this um but um it's really well told it's really the the pacing is kind of perfect i you, i want to touch on that i don't think you you mentioned it's kind of a typical revenge story. i don't think it's typical well, I mean, I just mean the story, the storyline okay. to it. The movie, the movie itself is not typical because it's kind of like a revenge, like like a revenge fantasy carried out by somebody who has no idea what the fuck they're doing. Right, right. Um, and it's played uh, the, the the main part is played by an actor named Macon Blair, who's really good mm-hmm. in, in in this movie. Um, and it's sort of it's super violent at times, but it's also um, it's it's also moody and atmospheric. Um, it, it's, it's, it's weird because it is like a bloody revenge thriller, but it's, it's through an independent film lens. It has an indie sensibility to it and it's a very small and intimate, uh, sort of landscape. There, there are a few things in it that, that touched me. <laughs> Go ahead. Finish the thought, Jerry. I was going to say that it touched me the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know why show, I was show doing me that phrasing, the phrasing like that. Uh, I thought that the, cause he, he runs up against this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought their actions were a little on the unbelievable side, a little too uh, kind of like it was. It's like I was watching Justified. Okay, if you watch Justified, just kind of this uh, weird uh, mob mentality. Uh, you know, we settle our own scores, sort of. Yeah, sort of aspect that I thought was a little too, a little. It took me out of it a little bit. Okay. I still liked the movie a lot, but it it's, it felt a little too familiar mm-hmm. to kind of a, like a you know classic tv drama sort of way yeah and there's a lot of intensity stuff there's a lot of uh really tense moments and um and 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 stuff that i that i like like i mean a lot of medical issues like you know uh he gets a he gets an arrow stuck in his leg (laughs) and it's a pretty gross affair Um, and he doesn't do it like um we saw the same thing happen in no country for old men but yeah uh what's his name does it like really professionally and like like he knows what he's doing this guy <laughs> this guy goes in and i don't know what he's doing Hacksaws Hacksaws. Yeah. yeah yeah i also think that this uh that this is and i think that that kiko you know kiko didn't like it as much as jared and i did no but, i did i liked okay. it as, i mean I, I put it in my honorable mentions okay. uh, I, I thought it was really good i think it's i think it's really fair to say that this is the best revenge movie in a long time i mean at least you know what five five or six years? I can't. I, I'm yeah. I mean, there's so many revenge movies I, nowadays. Know, I mean, I Kill Bill was still. I, I think uh, stylistically, and I, I really really liked John Wick this year. That was a revenge movie. No. I know you didn't like it, but no. I really liked John Wick. And John Wick was, I mean, just way more stylized 
action movie cliche, but yeah, and that's and I, I think that's the difference because because I think most revenge movies are either that way or they're like you know uh, they're super. Um, I, I don't I don't know the word for it, but it's like you know you hurt like like taken or something. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you hurt my you mom. hurt my family, and I'm gonna get you back. You know. <laughs> Which is a, a a quote from Taken, I believe, right? That's from Taken Three. Yeah, okay. stop taking my shit. <laughs> but yeah, um, really, really fantastically directed. Uh, I can't wait to see what this director does in the future, especially given his next movie, Green Room, uh, which will feature Patrick Stewart playing a skinhead. So that wow. that will be. Uh, it's basically about. What, I think the pl- uh, the plot is, uh, or the synopsis is. A band gets stuck, or a, a, someone gets stuck at a club watching a band, and they can't they can't leave the green room because a, the Nazi skinheads won't let them out, or something like that. Wow. Led by Patrick Stewart. So <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number six is a movie that I didn't like initially, and I actually rewatched. That's and right. And it's Birdman, or what is it? The, the unexpected, unexpected virtue of, of ignorance. ignorance. Which is on all three of our top tens as well. Yes. Yeah, um, I initially wasn't overwhelmed with, by this. Uh, I guess you could say I was underwhelmed. I don't know why. Or just whelmed? <laughs> I don't know. Whelmed? Yeah, I was just whelmed. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but watching it again really made me appreciate how good it was and how well put together it was. I think I was expecting too much, maybe. I don't know what, what my deal was. Um, probably because I saw it by myself at the Art House Theater at like 2 in the afternoon. Yeah. And it's generally not a pleasant experience as far as i'm concerned <laughs> we've been over this but uh because uh, you know there's old people behind me drinking wine and having popcorn i was just like and they're uh. pinching your cheeks like oh look sonny he came to the movies by himself no it's like an old guy in a blazer and sandals like it's just a weird crowd <laughs> yeah like old hipsters yeah and then you know they're they're well to do and they just went to you know, crumpets for lunch. And, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I really, really appreciated it uh, the second time. Around. I mean, Michael Keaton, if he doesn't get, uh, if he doesn't win Best Actor this year, I'm going to be pissed off. Um, and I, I really like Edward Norton in this too. Um, I think they're both, both kind of doing takes on their, their professional lives. Yeah. Michael Keaton, maybe a little more obviously than Edward Norton, because his kind of asshole antics are more of a behind the scenes thing. Right. Um, but I like that it, that there's no kind of apology made for it either. Uh, yeah. Well, and also Edward Edward Norton is sort of not necessarily. Well, it is him to a degree difficult to work with, but it, he also takes on the the whole concept of the method actor. Yeah. And it just just takes it down mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. It's no. So it's, great. I love that part. I I was surprised that you didn't really. I mean, you liked it, but you didn't like it as much as the second time around because of the. Me- I mean, you're a big meta fan, and I thought that there was a lot of like. No, I did. I appreciate that. This, watching it again, I was able to. I don't. I don't know what the problem was the first time around. Well, let's but, pretend like you didn't see it the first time. Okay. Now the second time, did you like you know the I superhero did. stuff that they threw in? No, and- I did. I really appreciate that. I think we talked about this when I reviewed it. I I I kind of chafed a little bit at the technical details of. Uh, Calling Iron Man and the Avengers separate franchises. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I really liked it, and it, it uh, again the the kind of tacked on ending I think is is a little too much, and I think it I don't think the movie suffers too much from it. But I didn't like the yeah the that's that's a fair assessment. The yeah. end the end end I guess the last ten minutes or so. Well, uh, there's a lot of interpretations of what that means, right? What it yeah. is, and so depending on what your theory is, it, it could be. I mean, it's open to interpretation, but right, and and still, and still, my 
biggest complaint is the the heavy handedness of the criticism of critics. Oh, uh, see, I love that. Yeah, I I did too. Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I just didn't. I thought it was a little too. It's it's too easy, yeah. frankly. But opinion. you don't get it a lot in movies. I mean, uh, he's kind of. A, I, I mean, get, I don't even know if he's attacking it, but he's bringing up a uh, a theme that is rarely shown. But I guess that we uh, in this line of work, we hear it more than than the average person does. Oh, I totally. Mean, yeah. I mean, because it, it just is like the same argument. And you mentioned this uh, on Facebook, talking about your interview with a. Uh, Another uh, actor. Oh, right, right, right. Where right. it becomes like, oh, well, you only do this because you can't create. Right. And it's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's those are my only two weak spots in the movie. But otherwise, it's really a really great film. Yeah, this is very high up on my list. Um, I think it's the best written movie of the year. The screenplay for this movie is fantastic. Yeah, it's, I'd agree. It's 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 so it's it's sharp. It's really funny. Um, it's uh. It's well. It's it's really well executed as well. And you know the thing that everyone's talking about, and deservedly so, is the way that it's put together. Mm-hmm. And the technical aspects of this movie are insane. I mean, it's it's uh, it's Emmanuel Lubezki who won the Oscar for Gravity last year, who shoots the film. And it's you know, as you know, or I guess may or may not know, it's it's constructed in virtually one take. Um, there's 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 a scene at the beginning and a scene at the end that aren't part of the one take. Right. Um, but uh, but you know, it's cr- I was I was reading an interview saying that the longest take that they took was f- about fifteen minutes, and most of them hovered around ten. So it's it's stitched together and edited so well um, to to and, and done with both camera tricks and visual effects yeah. to make it look like one take. And uh, you know, like you said, Michael Keaton gives the best performance of the year. He absolutely deserves the Oscar, and I think he'll get it. Um, Edward Norton's great. Emma Stone's really good in yeah. here. Um, it really, the whole cast, the whole ensemble. Is, yeah, they're all going to get nominated. The top three are that, will get nominated. The scene, the first scene between uh, Edward Norton and Michael Keaton, I love. Yeah, and that's just such a dissection. I don't know if either of you come from have any kind of theater experience at all, Mm-mm. but it's just such a, a great dissection of that. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that's a great scene where they're sort of working out, yeah, like and like they're you know they're breaking the scene and they're. Uh, Talking and Edward Norton is talking about the overwrittenness. Mm-hmm. Overwrittenness is that a word? Now how over is. how overwritten the word the that scene is. You yeah, know, where he's saying the same thing over and over again, basically. Yeah, and I know Kiko doesn't agree with me on this, <laughs> and I don't know where you stand on it, but I found the movie really funny. I I think it's really really funny, and that's funny. I mean, that's not. I wasn't busting out laughing, but there's it's funny. It's just I think it was more witty than funny. Yeah. Um and not all witty lines are funny, but I mean I would agree with you that it's the best written film of the year. I just I, I didn't I wasn't laughing as much. I thought it was more I thought it was a sadder film than I thought it was a funny film. Yeah. Um so even in the joke parts, jokey parts of it, I I um I mean I appreciated them for being so witty, but I didn't find them funny. But this is this movie was um is way up on my list as well, so um, I kind of liked it more for its seriousness than I did for the humor that it brought. But it did. It, it, there, there are some really funny parts. All right, what's your number six, Kiko? Um, what is my number six? My number six is wild. So ah. uh, we don't have to talk about that next. Yeah. <laughs> no, number six. I mean, we already said how much we lo- love this movie. So yeah, wild. Great movie. Mm-hmm. All right, Cody. What's your number five? We're into the top five. Ooh. Ooh. So this is where it gets serious. Uh, number five is a movie that is also not on either of your lists. Um, 
but but one that really kind of again one that came out of nowhere and and especially upon rewatch really kind of uh really impressed me and that's a movie called Starred Up. Uh it is a British film. Uh it is uh it's a it's a prison film. Um So you know what that means. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, a, a, a prison a prison movie uh it stars Jack O'Connell who uh uh you know, his his big break this year was supposed to be in Unbroken and he plays the lead in Unbroken, but uh this is where he truly makes his mark. Um, it's basically about a, um, a, a youth offender is what they call him in, in, uh, in, 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 in uh, the UK. But it's basically the idea of someone who was in juvenile detention that we would think of here. And he gets an early, uh, an early um, I guess, transfer into the adult, the big boy prison. And... Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, and he's got a lot of anger issues. He's he's very violent, and when he gets into the prison, it's the same prison that holds his father, um, who has been in there for many years and will probably never get out. Um, and so, uh, so there's a uh, you know you have your typical prison movie stuff. You know you see fights, you see bad food, and you know you see you see the the development of of I guess different gangs and different forces who you know. Uh, who you know? You see who runs the prison, and you see this sort of like, you know, you'll see it in anything. Even if you watch like Orange Is the New Black, you'll see how like uh, the patterns of a prison works, and you see how everything runs through certain people and mm-hmm. and different factions and stuff. Um, there's two areas in which Startup sets itself apart. Um, one of which is there's a really complex father and son relationship here. Um, you know. The father has been in prison for a long time and wasn't there for most of the childhood of of Jack O'Connell's character. So you see them, you know, the father is 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 becoming overbearing even in prison and trying to keep him on the right path, but he doesn't really know how to do that. Um, the second element, and this is the element that really appealed to me, was uh, there is a, a a counselor in the prison who does sort of like these anger management groups with the prisoners to try to you know straighten them out set them on the right path and he's a he's a volunteer counselor who who works there for free and um and runs this group with about five or six people in them to try to even them out and uh you know as some of you may know that sort of speaks to my day job not with prisoners but you know the idea of of, of therapy and in, in, in counseling groups and the scenes are just really well done. The guy who wrote it did the same job. He's a first-time screenwriter, but he used to be a, a prison volunteer counselor. So, so my takeaway from this is why haven't you started writing your screenplay yet? Well, I <laughs> nobody said I hadn't. Uh, <laughs> it's a you know it's sort of uh, you know it's it's a it's it's like a therapy a movie that takes place in space, <laughs> but with a race of hybrids between humans and uh, and sell it. Come on, sell it. This is your pitch. Let's go. A, a hybrid between humans and uh, and, and ant eaters. <laughs> and you're still talking to Danny Trejo's people, right, for the lead role? Well, I he's was gonna be, he's gonna be in it for 15 minutes and he's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, like every other movie. Well, Danny Trejo would be the villain in oh. this movie. The lead would be played by Peter Dinklage. Uh, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's great naturalistic, authentic dialogue in this movie. Um, it's really raw. It's uh, it's uh, 
and it's really well put together. It's a like I said, it's it's directed. Uh, it's a British movie by David McKenzie. Is the name of the director. You can find this movie on iTunes. Um, it's not yet out physically in the U.S., but you can find it on iTunes or Vudu or anywhere else. And I really recommend it. It's you might want to watch with the subtitles on because it's one, <laughs> it's one of those British. It's movies. one of those British movies where it's. Uh, or we can't understand what the fuck anybody's saying. Yeah, it's one of those movies. Or they'll speak in like slang that you'll that you might have to have like Urban Dictionary up for to sort of to sort of get your slang right. What's a wanker? <laughs> yeah. All right. But yeah, really great, really really great movie um, that I highly recommend. Well, my number five is the Lego Movie, which we already talked about. Yeah. So, Kika, what's your number five? Man, these are really anticlimactic. I know. My my number five is Ida. Which we already talked about. So, re- I, rewind. Yeah. And, uh, we but I mean, about... you, would we really want to spend another fifteen minutes saying stuff we already said? No. You should have. Like, we should like cut cut it in half. Like cut <laughs> your thought in half. Like what I really think about Ida is. You'll find sense. out later. <laughs> All right, number, number four, yeah. Cody. We're sort of taking like a choose your own adventure route. That's what we should have done. Yeah. Damn it. One note about. Ida and Lego Movie, respectively. The Lego Movie, best animated film of the year, and should win. Over it better win better over win. fucking Big Hero 6. I totally agree. If that piece of shit Big Hero 6 wins, <laughs> Kiko, I'm going to hold you responsible. I like Big Hero 6 more than I did the Lego Movie. You're crazy. Oh, that's wrong. Also, Ida, best foreign film of the year. Oh, yeah. Should, should run away with the award, but who knows? Yeah, I never. You never know what foreign. I, I have a bad feeling about the Lego Movie, though. I have a bad feeling. That no, I don't. I think it'll. Win. I have a well because there's even talk about the Lego Movie sneaking into Best Original Screenplay. So uh, that did, if that, that happens, that's. I mean, it's a shoe yeah. in. Well, okay. Because that what was the last animated film that did that? Was that Toy Story? Toy Story three. three. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, number four. Number Cody. four. Also, a movie not on anyone else's list. So I'm I'm bucking the trends here. Uh, Number four, I'm going with Chef, um, a movie that came out, God, probably in, we covered it early on in the podcast, so it was... I think, it, you, didn't you see it at South by Southwest? No, I saw it shortly after. But it had a big presence there. It had, Yeah, it premiered at South by Southwest in March, so it was probably in about April where it, it came out. Uh, this was Jon Favreau um, sort of returning to his independent sensibilities. Um, you know, after years of doing... The uh, you know Iron Man, Iron Man, the first two Iron Man, or yeah, the first two Iron Man movies, um, Iron Man, Cowboys and Aliens, Cowboys and Aliens. He did he does this really uh, you know you can call it small. I guess I would call it small uh, independent film. Um, you, you know where he is a a very well respected and famous kind of celebrity chef in a way, and um, he ends up having to go back to his roots and opening up a food truck. And um, the, the 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 best thing about this movie is the father and son relationship between John Favreau and MJ Anthony, who plays his son. Uh, the most, for me at least, the most authentic and 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 best played out father and son relationship in recent memory. Um, they they play off so well together, and um, and also John Leguizamo is great in this movie in a supporting role. Um, it's it's great food porn. Yeah. Uh, that was my favorite part of it, wanting yeah. a Cuban sandwich. Yeah. Oh, I searched out for one all around Fine town. One? Yeah. I found one that wasn't that great. I'm not going to say where I got it from. but Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think something I wrote about was uh, the film is a little lighthearted. Uh, there's not a ton of conflict in it. There's a little bit, but not a ton. Um, 
and also I, I you know it's it, it's it's the movie it's the first movie on my list that I would recommend first off to like the 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 casual moviegoer the person who you know ahead is, of Ida yeah, <laughs> yeah just slightly ahead of the Polish nun movie uh, but you know it's it's one of the movies where I can forgive its flaws a little bit more because I just enjoyed it so much. And it just I, made you happy. It, yeah, it makes it's a it's a really it's a it's a it makes you happy. It makes you feel good. Um, it's really enjoyable. Uh, it's it, it is lighthearted, but it's it's um, you know it also has uh, you know it's it's a rated R movie. It's it's uh, it's a it's slightly edgy, I guess, in its in its language more than anything else. Uh, it's got a really awesome. Uh, it, and, and I think that this is a common complaint for all, for all of us, really. But Jared and I, especially, it handles social media in the right way. Yeah, no, it that was really right. great. That was that was that was really really well done. And I'd forgotten about that till you mentioned it right now. Um, I liked the movie fine. I think it is a little too conventional, mm-hmm. um, especially the relationship that and the the end result of the relationship uh John Favreau's character has with his ex-wife yeah. Sofia Vergara yeah. it's like the end of it you're like what the fuck why is this happening yeah um yeah well, we had we have to mention Sofia Vergara cuz she plays it straight thank god yeah I'm, I'm Sofia Vergara <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> That was slightly racist, but okay. <laughs> that's how she talks. No, that's how she yeah. talks. Yeah, okay, Jared. <laughs> that's that's how she talks. Here, let me say it so it won't be oh, racist. Okay. Sophia Vergara. But she's Colombian, oh, so that's shit. still racist. Yeah, that's true. That's South American. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm glad that she didn't overdo it like she does in Modern Family or anything else that she does. So. Um, yeah, I, I I liked it fine. I didn't think it was anything too spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um. The food porn was the best part of it for me. Yeah. I, and there's a sense, and I'm not a foodie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of feels like I'm on the outside looking in at that culture because I don't understand like using the term chef as a title. See, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not in that culture, but I do. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I'm going to have to admit something here. I watch the Food Network mm-hmm. constantly. And so I find, I find a lot of that really interesting. And so to see sort of a slice of that world – but was really interesting. But like, it's it? a weird, like honorary title. It seems well, like it's a, that pre- pe- it's a it's a matter of prestige. I mean, it's it just seems weird to me, though. It's like, oh, chef. Like you, well, like, like, dre- like you address it as like it's a rank. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as calling someone professor. You know, because well, I mean, a professor doesn't necessarily have to have a, a degree or a doctorate, or else you'd call him doctor. But it's it's calling someone professor. I mean, it's sort of. I like don't know. That. It just seems weird to me. Yeah, uh, I, I can see that. Uh, but and I'm totally on the. I mean. The Cuban sandwiches look great. Every, every, <laughs> everything else, I was like, mm, it's all right. Hey, maybe that cake, the molten. Oh yeah, well, what was it called? I like that. That was my favorite part of it. Was uh, I Oliver thought it was Platt funny? Stuff. The Oliver Platt stuff, the food critic. And, and I God, I hesitate to call it independent. I hate. Why? Because Robert term. Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson make cameos. Robert, Scarlett Johansson's bigger than a cameo, though. I mean, it's like well, a, I think I think that I think the idea behind that was to get his famous friends behind it to push it forward. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's, no, it's, that makes sense. It's it's. I mean, it was distributed by Open Road. I mean, that's not exactly know, a giant distributor. I, it just it just the it just seems wrong to me. I think we talked about it before, but it just seems wrong calling an independent movie calling a movie with it, with John Favreau. But see, I don't a blockbuster I, director. I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with that at all because um, uh, the people who are in the movies don't. Don't like that's not what makes it an independent film. It's not the cast of it that makes it an independent film. You could have someone do a micro budget movie who's a huge star. I no, mean, I know. I just it's just it's such a confusing term now. 
is what I mean. Yeah. Like, it, I, I don't see it. Like, it doesn't have the same sensibilities to me as an independent film. Right, but it's... As what I'm thinking. I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But, it's it's just, e- but even its release schedule, it's, an, it's a limited release movie. It's not wide release. Anyway. But yeah, so I mean, yeah. It was fine. I liked it. Fine. I'm hungry now. I want a Cuban sandwich. And I, I it's, uh, I wonder if the food truck trend will die anytime soon. No, no way. And that it'll look, that'll look like, this will be just a time capsule. I, I, I would find that <laughs> very hard to believe if that happened. No, I'm not saying it is, but I just wonder if it will. I don't know. No, anyway. So. All right. Uh, what are we on? Number five? Number four? four. Oh, number four. My number four is uh, A Most Violent Year. I know. Oh, uh, wow. So that's my number four, too. Uh, so we can talk about it together. Uh, this is a uh, J.C. Chandor's director. Mm-hmm. Um, stars Oscar Isaac and uh, Jessica Chastain. Uh, Albert Brooks has a, a part in it. And this uh, this is also one that will be in a future episode, I think, pretty soon. Right? At the end of the month. Okay. We'll, we'll touch on it yeah, a little you, bit. Yeah, you can touch uh, on it. It's, uh, I, I wrote this in my review. It feels like the origin story of like a Sopranos character that we never saw. Yeah, I brought up. I mean, anything um, gangster related. I I brought up the whole Goodfellas, but it's more of an anti-Goodfellas because I'm 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 raised in TV, very well versed in the TV anti-heroes that you see all the time. Right here's a guy that's trying his hardest not to be a bad guy. Right, and you you don't kind of you don't know if he is or not, and uh, the way that they you know play it out is great because and everything just ends up stacking against him and. Yeah, it's not, and it's totally not cliche at all. I mean, there's nothing cliche about this movie. Um, it talks a lot about the American dream because he is an immigrant, yeah. Um, and how certain people can just come into this country and make it big and business, and some can't. And, and there's every, that fine line. I mean, and everybody's crooked. Almost, almost everybody. everybody's crooked. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 a nice it's it's a really powerful movie. I, I was. Um, Jessica Chastain's great in it. Oscar Isaac again. I mean, he was robbed of a Oscar nomination last year for Inside Llewellyn Davis. Um, Llewellyn Davis, sorry. Um, and I think he's going to get robbed again this year. So, but then he's going to be in uh, the new Star Wars film, next and year. everything's going to be happy go lucky. It'll up his profile an awful oh, lot. Yeah, but anyway. Anyway, so we'll talk about that uh, at the end of the month. A most violent year. I don't share your enthusiasm for this film. <laughs> Sorry, folks. sorry, it doesn't have a fucking Cuban sandwich in it. <laughs> you know what? If it, and fat John Favreau. If it had a Cuban sandwich, I might have considered it. We, I have a fundamental disagreement with a, with like a a certain, uh, I guess storyline or character character trait um, that that I don't agree with at all. Uh, but I, I, I I'm intrigued. I want to know what you're talking about. Uh, it's probably best if we get into it later, because I it would it, if I got into it now, it would start a huge discussion. Okay, I think. But Jessica we, Chastain's really good. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three. Number three. My number three is Selma, which we will talk about next week. And that's also my number three. My number three is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which we talked about already at length. Yeah. Wow, that's high for Dawn, dude. I'm telling you, it was the like the best blockbuster I've seen in years. Anyway. Cool. I loved it, too. Number two. Number two. My number two is Birdman or The Unexpected Adventure of Earth. That is my number two as well. My number two is Wild. Oh. Sweet. So. Okay. All right. Five, number one. Number one, a movie we all oh, picked yeah. is number one. Uh, we all get to talk about it right now. Unanimous decision, ladies and gentlemen. Now we need the drum roll. And that is Boyhood. Boyhood. Uh, you know, 
I a lot has been said about this movie. A lot of superlatives. A lot of a lot of um, hyperbole, and it might all be valid. <laughs> uh, this, you know. And and I think on in any other year, Birdman would have made a serious run at my number one. But you just cannot overlook everything that goes into Boyhood. Um, it is, it is, it is unbelievably well made. Um, Richard Linklater. This I think this will you know when you reflect back on his career someday, this will be his shining masterpiece of a film. Um, you know, as, as it's been documented, and I'm sure everyone knows. Um, Takes place over twelve years, uh, shot with the same cast over the span of twelve years, and when you watch the movie, it just it just blends together effortlessly. It's you're just watching years melt away, and it's it's not distracting. It's not it's not. Uh, There's no title card that says like 2004. Right. It just blends together, and it's and it's like it just it's amazing how easy he makes it look in, yeah. in this movie. Uh, um, it's it's the best movie I've ever seen about growing up. And I think that that's what it is more than anything. I know I've used the word meditation already, but it really is a meditation on growing up, um, and not just the kids. Yeah, exactly. You see, you see relationships between parents or relationships between kids and their parents evolve over the years, mm-hmm. and that is that is absolutely amazingly well done. Um, and you get to see like you know d- uh, divorce and remarriages where you see families come together and you see blended families, families with that are both bringing kids into the equation and you see how that works. Um, and you see how, you know, over, over the years, uh, the parent and child relationship trends more towards a friendship than, uh, a paternal thing. And, and there's, there's not, uh, like a, an agenda, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause you see, you see Ethan Hawke's character who Ethan Hawke is great in this movie. Oh yeah. Ethan Hawke's amazing. Uh, I love him. And you see, uh, you see him, you know, have have them putting out, have they, their kids are putting out Obama signs Mm -hmm. and McCain, uh, taking up McCain signs. But then you also see the kind of flip side of that because it it does take place here in Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where they, they I assume they shot in Austin. They shot in Austin, Houston, because it uh, takes place in uh, San Marcos mm -hmm. uh, and Houston, and -hmm. then kind of unnamed places in between. And you see, uh, there's a a scene where uh, the family. Uh, the boy and the the girl. I can't remember their names. I've totally forgot. Mason. Mason. And, uh, uh, anyway, they visit uh, their. Is it his their mater their paternal grandparents or is it the step grandparents? Uh, I think it's the step grandparents in right. that scene. Step grandparents, and you know they're kind of a conservative older couple that gives him a gun. Yeah. to, for his birthday. Yeah, right? it is a step grandparents, and it's uh, it's it's something that. You know, it's just a way, part of life. There's no. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gotten a gun for my birthday. I got a gun. Uh, Did you really? Shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> I never a shot. I, it's like a it's a four ten, which is a really tiny gun. I mean, I've shot a gun before, but I mean, it's it totally didn't take. And but it, it is a very Texas thing. Like it's a well, it's a part of life, and they're out in the in a, the country. There's yeah. a lot of really nice Texas touches too. If you grew if you've grown up here, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, in in this this sort of I, I'm closer to the age of the kid in the movie than you guys are so i don't know i don't think you guys had this but there's stuff like going into school and having the texas pledge yeah see we didn't do the texas pledge neither did we yeah see i did that from day one wow of of kindergarten if i recall correctly and then there's there's stuff like that there's um yo oh and the one thing that, that that is that i love most about this movie is um the musical cues um you know basically uh link later 
to to clue you in and to to cue you in on on what what year it is, he will play songs that came out in the year in which the that particular scene was shot. So you hear the music like it it, it opens up with Yellow, Coldplay's Yellow, mm-hmm. and uh, and from there on out it goes you know through the years and, and hits and hits songs and that was important to me because there was a lot of songs that 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 were you know personal to me that I saw there that was just. It- even the personal songs, even the songs that weren't personal to me, made me think of that a time thing. in my life, yeah. which is interesting because I mean it starts off with Yellow, Cole plays Yellow, and he's what six, and yeah. when that movie, when that song came out, I was in college, yeah. So it not only made me feel a little bit old, uh-huh. um, but that made me think of certain things that happened in college during that time period, yeah. and it even like it makes you like start thinking about. I mean, it sounds a little like touchy-feely but like start thinking about your own life and where you were right while this was happening no it definitely makes you think like because you know in a sense 2001 doesn't seem that long ago right but you know we're at 14 years now right 2001 um another i guess almost accidental but probably foretold market uh marker for the passage of time was the cell phones yeah i found that kind of fascinating uh, you know you see because you lose yourself sometimes in this film. You think that, oh, they shot this last year. Right. And they just found old prop cell phones. But no, this is what they were shooting this as it happened, and they all had flip phones, you know? Well, and also the impressive part about it was that it was sort of written as it went along. Richard Linklater did not write this movie 12 years in advance. They would re- they would reconvene every summer, and they would put together, you know, everyone would change. You know, the, yeah. the, the parents would change, the older actors, mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette, who's really, really great also. Uh, and, you know, the, the kid, Eller Coltrane, would change. And so they would write those scenes around that. And I, I, love, I love the person, the character that Mason ends up becoming uh, as, a, as an 18-year-old. And I love that he's so full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like in that scene in the diner. Yeah. Oh, God. Like and- he's, he's the typical like uh, – um, like like philosophical yeah kid. photographer yeah. yeah yeah and he's just so full of shit yeah but it's just so refreshing because <laughs> yeah. it because it, it's like oh the circle just keeps going yeah and and just like small touches like Ethan Hawke being like the cool dad and like you know leather jacket cool dad to being like a he has a minivan he has a minivan yeah I love that scene where around. yeah there's a scene where he uh, he picks up uh, Mason in another car and mm-hmm. he's like where's your firebird or whatever it was he was yeah. driving and they talk about how he, well, he sold it and, how, and he was like well you're gonna give that car to me what yeah i never said that and i like that he's yeah, that's uh, great and i like that uh, ethan hawk's character isn't a dirt bag yeah like it you, you, he's a good dad he's just yeah he's just not around yeah, i love much. the scene where they're in houston and they and you know he's asking them how their how their day went or whatever and and he has the conversation about you guys basically you guys need to talk to me and yeah and uh it's it's a great it's a great relationship and also you get you get a glimpse into the not so great where you see some really intense scenes of Patricia Arquette's character who who falls finds herself in abusive relationships. Yeah, she's just making she's making really bad decisions in her life up to the point where she. Well, I don't know if I would call them bad decisions. I would say bad luck because on on the surface, it's it's sort of well. I, did well, the... yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's not enough. well. They're bad bad decisions in the point of you know her staying in a relationship well, for. Her. I, that's that's a more complex situation than you than you give it credit for. Oh, okay, counselor. <laughs> no, I've, I've just, I've As it's portrayed in the film, yeah. I think it's um, it's more of a bad. I mean, we're not really let into her psyche. 
in this movie. It's just because, and they're not all abusive relationships, at least as they're portrayed in the film. There's only one really abusive relationship. Well, there's there's one that's more verbally. Well, okay. I mean, I've I've worked I've worked in this area, so I I can I can I can attest to the fact that it is it is really accurately portrayed. Um, I just what I like about those scenes is uh, it really shows you like just in life in general how easy people come and go um, in your life. I mean, yeah. there's new people that come in all the time, and like it's just interesting because you know you like Christmas uh, this year. You know, I go to my grandmother's house and there's like a new boyfriend mm-hmm. or something like that. Oh, this is so-and-so. Yeah. Oh, hey, we're probably not going to see you next Christmas, you know, because yeah. they're been in and out. You know, somebody breaks up and, you know, there's new people. And it's just there's always people coming in and out of, of, of families. So it, and, and it's quickly, I mean, you just kind of like – and there's a scene there where, you know, they're with these two – they have a step, step step brothers mm-hmm. and sister, and then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. Yeah, and they're gone forever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll probably connect later on on Facebook, which wasn't around during that time. Right. But but you know, it's just it's interesting the way that they kind of play that out, and it's it's really powerful the way that that, that happens. I think I think that more than any other, I I don't know if Boyhood will win Best Picture. It's got a really good shot at it, but more so than any other Oscar. Richard Linklater needs to win Best Director more than anything else, I think. How do you sell this movie to somebody who thinks it's a gimmick? Oh, I hate that word. Here's the, here's the thing. It kind of is. I mean, yeah. it kind of is. I mean, if you if you look at it from the standpoint of it was filmed over 12 years uh, showing the natural progression, it kind of is. That doesn't even matter. It doesn't it doesn't come into play at all because it's so well done. And it's And the way I explain it to people who might say it's a gimmick is that it is done for a storytelling purpose. It has a purpose, and it's to to see the the longevity of everything. It's it's to, um, you know, what, what better way to show the change in how in how people and relationships happen over time than by keeping with the same people and being and you know not taken out of the movie by an actor playing an older version of someone else. Right. right. I mean, gimmick. The word gimmick just has such a negative connotation to it. It's hard to get past that. When people bring it up, like, so when you say it kind of is, people are like, yeah, I knew it was, you know, and it's kind of like, can't really explain. I wish it was a different word that, you know, but it does happen seamlessly. I mean, I don't know if gimmick would be the right word, but when I think of gimmick, I think of more low, low brow kind of things. When I think of gimmick and I think of Richard Linklater, I think of waking life. Mm, Uh, That could be, yeah, that, (laughs) see, I've never, I haven't been a big Richard Linklater fan throughout my life. He's been kind of hit and miss for me. Have you seen all of the before movies? Have you seen before Sunset and Sunset? No, I've only seen the third one. You need to watch the first one's good. The second one is great. The second one's the best of the series. But his his mainstream efforts have been, well, I guess those would be a little mainstream. But he's had fits and starts. Like I don't find uh, personally, I don't find Dazed and Confused that great. I love it's, School of Rock. School of Rock was was fine. Yeah, um, it was funny. Uh, but he had some like a big his his first real big foray into mainstream was the Newton Boys, mm-hmm. which was just dull. Yeah. Um, but and I, I don't again I don't find like I said I don't find Days and Fuse which is kind of his you know big Bernie out was part. great Bernie was great okay yeah Bernie's really good so uh, phil- I mean he has this philosophical side to him which he shows a lot in Waking Life I think it a little bit comes into Boyhood and a lot of his other films too but uh, yeah Waking Life he's, he's had <laughs> such a weird career because he also he also did like the Bad News Bears remake and mm-hmm. he did a uh, um, there was he did a baseball the- movie or d- baseball documentary I can't remember what it was there, no did- maybe it was. A yeah. Scanner Darkly, uh, he did. Yeah. Uh, he's done. Uh, See, that would be a more of a. That would be more of a 
gimmick to me. That was, was animated kind of too, right? Yeah. Or rotoscoped. Yeah. Because all of Waking because Life what was did, rotoscoped. What did that do for the story itself other than, I mean, you could do a little bit more with animation and movements yeah. of the characters and things like that. But to me, that's a little bit more yeah. gimmicky. I think this is this is this will be his big, finally validation that he's a really really great director. Right. Well, I I think it goes beyond that, and I think that it, this movie will sort of stand the test of time as being a, like a like I think you can look back on this several years from now and see it as a classic film. I think it has that potential. Who knows how it, how it will last over time? But I I think some of the performances are a little too weak for it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially his daughter. Yeah, I think is not good. Yeah, uh, I think Eller Coltrane is fine. I think the, the obviously the two best performances in this film are Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they'll get a lot of attention. I think that I, I think th- Arquette's going to win the Oscar. Patricia Arquette will win. Think so? Yeah. Um. I just I think that it's it's a little too little kid like there there's no transcendent performance from a little kid which is what you kind of need in something like this to become a classic. I think that Eller Coltrane is good. I think he's I think he's I think he's really good throughout. Um, more so when he gets older. But. Yeah, I think they could have taken uh, they could have spent a little bit more time with him when he was younger. There's just there's just uh, the f- you know, as they go to the different ages, I wish they would have stayed with him at six or seven a little bit longer. But hey, you could have easily called this movie Parenthood too. I mean, judging by the first half of it, it's it's very heavily focused. We have a movie called Parenthood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally becomes uh, um, Mason uh, Eller Coltrane's character. His movie as the movie continues, which I think was by design. Yeah, but I've I've personally never seen anything like this movie. I've I was really late to the party on this. And yeah, I, it was. Really great. The only thing I can think of, I mean, I really like something when it comes to like coming of age and showing how a young boy grows up. And uh, but it's a completely different movie as something like Where the Wild Things Are, um, which kind of shows the same thing of a little boy kind of growing. But it's not the same, you know. Yeah, very different. Not the same style or the same. It's not kind nearly of as good story. Oh, I love Where the Wild Things. I know are. you do. I was unimpressed. Uh, <laughs> what was that? I think that was a wild thing, wasn't it? No, they just talk like uh, James Gandolfini. Oh, that's right. They all <laughs> Did you see the the clip when the when the when like the trailer came out where they recut James Gandolfini in the movie, but they put Sopranos clips behind <laughs> no. it? So they had they had the wild thing saying Soprano lines. No. Soprano that's awesome. Lines. I love I love the Sopranos is such a cultural touchstone to me, and that's another thing that I thought of when you were talked about Boyhood, like people just coming and going. That was another trait of the Sopranos. Where uh, that was way more of a slice of life than the slice of life in like late '90s, early 2000s than anybody really gives it credit for, right? Because people would just come and go. You know, it was a mob story, of course, but then they'd between episodes they'd skip ahead six months, and all of a sudden there'd be somebody new or or whatever, somebody have a different haircut, or and nobody would talk about it. Um, but yeah, and I think that's just a real strong suit of boyhood, and, and you know, I think. If somebody didn't know the quote gimmick or hook, I guess the production, do you think anybody would really notice? Like, if you went into this not knowing, would you notice that it was the same actor? Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think you would notice, but I mean, it would take you a while to wait a minute. What? I mean, it, it's a little surreal in that sense. Yeah. Where you're kind of like, how did they do this? And this is uh, this movie is also currently available. On like VOD stuff. Yeah, it's actually going to be on Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so definitely check it out. Um, a lot of buzz. It's the president's favorite movie of the year. Yes, guys. it is. Uh, it's the White House overall. Did he come out with a top ten? No, he just said that Boyhood was his number he one. He bypassed Congress. <laughs> gave an executive order that Boyhood was number one. Oh, sweet. What's that? When's National Boyhood Day? Sounds really. Uh, <laughs> <'cause>... <laughs> wow. Uh, the really FBI is calling. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough of the top 10. Let's go to our bottom five. Uh, these are the five worst movies of the year, according to us. Yes. And there's Cody. some overlap here, right? There A little bit. Some. Yeah. Cody? Uh, I'll start with number five uh, Kevin Smith's. Tusk. I agree. That's my number five too. Uh, this movie is just—I was—I, you know what? I've been a defender of Kevin Smith for a long time, and I've been a fan. I know of, you have. We've argued about this. Yeah, and I've been a fan of his for a long time, but this just—I've had enough. Yeah, I've, you know, and I was in going into it, I was not excited because I think the idea of turning a movie from a podcast episode is just the most ridiculous thing you could possibly. Oh, just do. wait till we have our uh, pod, our movie version of episode thirty, where you and I argued about the Sony hack. Oh, that would be really good. They were gonna, I'm writing the who, script who, right who now. Who would play you? Um, I know who would play me because I want I, hear uh, all the time. I want um, Josh Gad. <laughs> <laughs> you know who would play me? I get it. I hear it all the time. Who? Jason Schwartzman. Uh, okay, I get it. That I, works. I get it all the time. Josh Gad and Jason Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> who plays too much like Olaf? Who plays Kiko? The, well, I would probably be a silent film actor, right? Because Kiko said absolutely nothing during that. No, I. Uh, what's what, the, when you were yelling at each other? Yeah. What's the guy? The who's cr- cowering did, underneath the desk. Who's, <laughs> who's the guy that played uh, Pedro in Napoleon? Oh <laughs> my god! What's his Efren Ramirez? Efren Ramirez, because he barely says anything ever. Or you could get Danny Trejo. As I we want to build her about. a cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Tusk. Um, <laughs> that was really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> this. Uh, Tusk is a just a complete <laughs> a, a complete disaster of a movie. Uh, <laughs> you know what? And I fucking saw this this past weekend was like the first still from its spiritual sequel, Yoga Hosers. Oh, oh, they came out of the seat still. <sighs> well, and Johnny Depp is in it again, playing the same character, which is just may may be the worst like fifteen minute section of film this year. Is Johnny Depp in the cabin in in Tusk? Just an awful scene. <laughs> I uh, would totally vote, vote. I mean, I wish we had Razzie, uh, Razzie uh, votes. The, uh, Razzie votes would be great. That is the who, uh, <laughs> what's the Michael Parks? Yeah, the scene between Johnny Depp and Michael Parks, oh. where they're, Michael Parks is doing like a kind of mentally handicapped accent. Yeah, and Johnny Depp is doing like this weird French thing, and there's like a slow French accordion playing the whole time, and it's it goes on. Forever. Fuck. We, I know we talked about this when the movie came out, but good lord, that I don't know why that's not number one on my list, but that was so bad, man. It's just, yeah, it's it's just it's just so terrible, and it's it's you feel like there's a joke that you're not in on. That's the best way to describe Tusk. It feels like a joke that you are you're far away from. And well, you, and, you don't and get. that's the thing about the end of the film is they play the. <laughs> Like over the end, they play the yeah. clip of the podcast where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if these fuckers thought this movie was good? Yeah, it's like a like, giant middle finger to everyone who just sat through the movie. It's, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's Kevin Smith's worst movie that he's ever made. And uh, so, you think they could, they just did it just to show just to that they it. could do it exactly? And and Kevin Smith has admitted just as much. He's he said that, and it's like, what? That's not a that's not an excuse to make a movie. We have someone who 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 we know who is a very strong supporter of Kevin Smith, who basically said, 
Oh, he made it just just because he could make it. It's like that, that's not a reason for something to exist. <laughs> that, the, that's the thing is, I was a. And I'm sure we touched on this before, but it's worth bringing up again. I was a big Kevin Smith fan. Yeah. Uh, at least the first uh, three movies he did: Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. Those pretty much defined my high school years as yeah. a moviegoer. Yeah. Um, and then as it went on, Dogma was fine enough. It doesn't hold up so well on rewatch. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was kind of. Uh, uh, I actually kind of like Jersey Girl. I do too. Uh, and I, I really liked Clerks too. Yep, me too. Um, oh and I love. Have you seen the Clerks animated series? Mm-hmm. We yeah, talk about this. You, you know what? We should put together a supercut of you asking uh, me that. <laughs> that's gonna. I'm gonna ask you that every other podcast. <laughs> Have you seen Clerks animated series? But that's it, that's your Cloverfield. <laughs> that's a. That was so before its time, uh, and it's really great. Uh, anything else has been just disappointing to terrible. I would, Cop Out was bad. See, I like Zack and Miri, but I... Oh, yeah. I forgot about Zack and Miri. Zack and Miri's fine. Red State's fine. Red State's okay. Um, uh, but, God, this movie was painful. It feels like the beginning of the end for Kevin Smith because he's going to make a trilogy out of this, and I do not want to sit through another two <laughs> of these movies. Well, and, and it's kind of torpedoed his other movies too like he's trying to get funding for stuff and nobody wants to give it to him for clerks three right well the clerk apparently he's making like three or four movies this upcoming year he's making oh, clerks three he's making the hockey movie which i've i've been waiting for his hockey movie i thought for the like hockey movie years. was going to be a tv show now well i don't i don't know what it's going to be he has financing for it though <laughs> and he's got the the he's got the third movie uh it's called moose jaws which is basically jaws with a moose oh <sighs> <laughs> so, do you think people that like this Kevin Smith films that li- actually like Tusk, what's what's the deal there? Is they, it just because just, they're... they're totally in on it? I think. Well, uh, and they're they're diehard Kevin Smith fans. Yeah, I mean, they're just because the guy is is a magnetic personality. I've grown tired of it over, over the years, but I think there's people that got on board and never got off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never got off. Uh, there's people that uh, never got off on Kevin Smith. Uh, people that that. You know, that listen to his podcasts. I guess he still does a million of them. Yeah, not as much as he used to. But uh, and that's fine. If you're a fan of the guy, I don't, I don't care. If you like the guy's work, uh, I think that it's definitely he's lost his mainstream appeal. If he ever really had any, yeah. Uh, well, and and also, I mean, I've been a big fan too. I've I've been a fan of him as a personality too. I mean, like if you watch. Oh, those the, evening at Kevin Smith. The evening and Kevin Smith are amazing. Yeah, and if you watch the Kevin Smith Burn in Hell one that was on epics it's on netflix you can see me they cut to me <laughs> in the front row because i got moved to the front row because my seat was obscured and you, you they cut to my face and uh and so oh, i'm i'm guilty yeah i'm guilty for being in it it's you know what's weird <laughs> what is this again it's it's a it's a q a he did called kevin smith burn in hell and it's also i had the way i found out about it was someone at one of my jobs once came up to me and goes hey did you go to a kevin smith concert and i was like yeah how did you know that? And he's like, they cut to you like several times during the middle of the. Is that an ethical violation now that your patient? How would you call it? It wasn't. It wasn't a client. It was someone oh. I worked with. Oh, okay. Uh, like a, a coworker. But what if one of your clients saw you? Would you have to stop seeing them? No, because they saw me going ha ha and laughing on screen. I, I think that would be fine. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I like the little pantomime you did of laughing. Oh like yeah. holding <laughs> your holding your holding chest, my chest. L- like a Victorian woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even even as a personality, I think you know, on on in the middle of that Q and A, he goes on this angry <sighs> tirade against movie critics, and I think that's oh, where I started yeah. to lose him. Where it's, where it's like, okay, just you know, your, your work has always been divisive. Like, why why now are you going to? Because his his argument was that critics sank 
um, I guess it was Cop Out at that point. Cop Out is a terrible movie, though. But yeah, we're spending a lot of time on this. We should probably... All right. What's your number fifth? Number... <laughs> what's your fifth worst movie? Uh, my, fifth movie, my fifth worst movie of the year is a movie called Third Person. Oh, yeah. And um, she, I don't even remember this movie. Olivia Wilde fucks her dad. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I just remember how terribly written it Paul was. Haggis. Paul Haggis is a tool still in my book, uh, just as much as Kevin Smith is. But we'll, right. We've already passed by yeah, that already. Yeah, third person is just... Third person is terrible. I mean, the reveals are laughable. The ending is insulting. The end, Yeah, the ending is like, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. Um. I don't even want to get into what it's about. Yeah, it's let's, not worth it. And let's move on. Yeah. Third, it's called Third Person. Don't see it. Number number four, Cody. Number four is The Giver, uh, based on the young adult novel that I read when I was in, in middle school. A young adult? When I was a young adult. Uh, um, it's, it's, the, it's a dystopian movie gone wrong. Uh, it is terribly performed. Maybe the worst acted. No, it's not the worst acted movie. <laughs> it's, there's one that there's one that bests it. Um, uh, it's terribly acted. The story is awful, uh, and it's a movie that has Jeff Bridges and Meryl Streep, two Oscar winners, who are totally phoning it in. Jeff Bridges sounds like he's had his oatmeal in his mouth the whole time. <laughs> yeah, just a terrible. It's, terrible dystopian. It's dumb, but I didn't hate it as much as you did. Oh, God. But it was dumb. I was, it was but in- I have no investment in it at all. Right. No, I didn't like it. I hated this. But this too. was a, like, wasn't it a pet project of Jeff Bridges for a oh, long yeah. time? Oh, yeah. He wanted to make it for, like, over a decade. Like, he wanted his father, uh, before he passed away, to yeah. play the giver. Yeah. Um, number anyway, four. Number four, Jared. Number four for me is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, um, the bad. movie that's uh, likely killed Spider-Man's franchise for the second time. In seven years. It may have killed Spider-Man for Sony. Sony. Yeah. Sony, after all the mess with the hacking and everything and the interview and all this stuff, that's weirdly died down forever. Yeah. Notice that? Like, yeah. there's nothing else. Um, Shockingly, nothing came of it. Amazing. <laughs> uh, but it may have killed Spider-Man for good for Sony. Um, it's just a, it's, it's the worst. It's, they, they learn no lessons at all from Spider-Man 3 on. Yeah. Um, it's just an overstuffed, in the middle of a story, entry that's just this. Nobody was pleased with it. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd call it one of the worst movies. It's definitely bad, but I I never found it offensively so. But uh, it's just one of those. It's it's the it's the overstuffed thing. It's the idea of having seven million different villains. And Jamie Fox is just bad. Yeah, Jamie Foxx is not good in, in this I mean, movie. Like, I just want to be noticed, and like he's a nerd with a like, bad comb over. Like, come on, yeah. <laughs> it was way on the nose. Yeah. Um, number four, Kiko. Uh, number four for me is a movie called Pompeii, which came out like a year ago. I, so. didn't, I didn't see this. Um, uh, you know what? I caught I caught clips of it. Uh, it's on H. It's on the run on HBO or one of the oh, yeah. channels, uh, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> doesn't it have a? It, it's one claim to famous Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington, yeah, from Game, Game, Game of Thrones, Jon Snow. John, yeah. you, he knows nothing. Did you know that? Who do, who knows nothing? Jon Snow. Oh, I don't watch the show, so. You should watch it. Yeah. It's better than Pompeii. <laughs> I, 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 when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this movie is so poorly edited and put together. Yeah, it's just really bad. Uh, what's his name? Um, 24. Oh, Help Kiefer me. Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is I, I, laughable. Oh my God. Kiefer Sutherland is he laughable. Play, he, plays like a, he plays like a king, right? Yeah, well, he's like. And the, he's doing like this British accent. Oh my God. Everybody's. So that's what the that's movie shorthand for old times. So yeah. basically, I mean, you're just waiting for the volcano to explode. Waiting for them to become those statues. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Number three. Coming Cody. coming in at number three, uh, higher up on Kiko's list, but number three was the identical. Um, you know what? It's <laughs> the identical is, uh, is 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 it's it's a terrible movie. It's really 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 bad. It's the worst acted movie of the year. That's what I was hinting towards. It's got a terrible Ray Liotta, a terrible who is it? Ashley Judd's in it too. Uh, and then this the guy Blake, what's his name? Blake something. Blake, I'm never going to work in this industry again. <laughs> this was the first and last movie you'll ever see of this Blake, whatever. <laughs> a, just a, a terrible performance for the ages. Um, <laughs> just like he plays a, he plays someone from the age of like 18 or actually younger, 16 up until his 40s maybe. And he looks the same the whole time. He looks like a giant Hulk uh, character. <laughs> And, and and I think the, the way I described him in the first one was he looked like uh, he looked like Elvis if like a cloning experiment went terribly wrong. <laughs> and uh, uh, the reason the only reason this isn't higher up on my list is because it was so much fun to watch because it's so it's it's not like the room bad but it's like it's you can have a lot of fun watching this movie and and, and commenting to whoever you're sitting next to about how terrible it is and I really hope that it hits Netflix soon because. Uh, I want to do a commentary track <laughs> with you guys, and and you don't want to have to buy the Blu-ray. Yeah, I have, and I haven't seen it yet, so oh it'd be, man, it'd be fresh eyes. Yeah, I we if we do that, and I think we should, even if it's in like Redbox, we should definitely do a commentary. Jared needs to go into it having not seen it before, because it is truly just just a total and utter disaster. And Kiko, you you can talk about it too because it's on your list. So oh yeah, I mean this. Um, oh, I don't even know where to begin with this. This is one of those movies where when I really hate a movie, I, I can't like not turn to the person next to me and start making fun of it. I'm just, it's just something that I do. We had a lot of fun in this screening. Man, we had tons of fun. And I, I mean, we just, I mean, we're... From like the, from like the get-go. We're Mystery Science Theater that day. Yeah. Big time. That's what we were doing the whole time. The whole time. It was hilarious. And I agree with you. It's, it was... It was it's, terrible movie but it's really funny to watch but i have to say that it still comes back to being terrible for me i mean i don't know i mean i had fun watching it but at the same time just like pulling oh. my, i think it was fun until it got there was a point where it just got annoying yeah and i think that's where it just like oh well, you know i can't do this anymore and do you know how hard it is to like make a movie that's about music and to make the songs so terribly bad. <laughs> like usually sometimes you can luck into a good song or two in a bad movie. Right. But the music throughout this is just awful. And and Jared, something that you will appreciate a lot when you see this is how out of place Seth Green is in this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember he was, he did a few uh, talk show appearances for yeah. this film. And he had to lie and say it was good. Uh, yeah. Oh, poor Seth Green. All right. My number three is, uh, a movie that was wasn't this on your like most anticipated list once, Cody? Uh, Men, women, and children. That was on Kiko's list. Kiko's list. Was it on my list? Yeah, when we did a when we did a. Um, what were we looking forward to for the fall? Yeah, it was it was our fall movie preview. This was on your list. Oh, okay. Fuck this movie. <laughs> this is one of uh, it's was insulting. This movie, how bad it was, and how yeah, it's terrible. How, but more than that was how. Like we talked about Chef earlier being so social media it's a total savvy. Opposite. This is the complete and total opposite of just understanding how the internet works, how social media works, how people interact with uh, the the uh, internet in modern society. Yeah. Just sort of this cautionary tale that seems like it came from 1995. It, like an after school special. Right. 
you know, chiding people for pornography, looking at porn, yeah. um, uh, treating like totally misunderstanding what a keylogger does, first of all, and how it works and how you could bypass it. And uh, I think. And like over explaining stuff. Like, you remember the Tumblr scene where she was like, most of my Tumblr is just me, like, like copy and pasting what other people say. And you're yeah. like, yeah. And I think we looked at each other and we're like, oh, yeah, Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Tumblr. A, yeah, that we, we were like, yeah, that's what Tumblr is. Um, <laughs> uh, I think nobody makes this, nobody makes this, uh, makes it through unscathed. Uh, I think the two people, two performers. J.K. Simmons. Right? Uh, well, J.K. Simmons doesn't really have a lot to do. Yeah. But I think Ansel Engort and uh, Caitlin Deaver kind of escape unscathed. because Everyone's they have the... a piece of shit in this movie, though. That's the thing. Like, well, but they're not, though. They're not. Yeah, um, they're the two. They're they... just in love, guys. They, but, they, but they get, like, like Dean Norris is okay until the very end, and he yeah. turns shitty. Judy Adam's... Greer is terrible. Judy Greer is, like, the stupidest woman in the world, <laughs> uh, you know, taking softcore porn pics of her underage daughter. Yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler is just a terrible in this film. Um, Jennifer Garner's the worst. Yeah. Jennifer, Garner, <laughs> Jennifer Garner's. Not only is her character the worst character in the film, but she's awful in it. She has a terrible performance, like really, really bad. And uh, it's just, it's just so insulting. It, and it's, it's from uh, Jason Reitman, who is on a, he's, he's a in terrible, a tailspin. Right yeah. Now. And it, it just is, completely tone deaf and has this weird kind of uh uh what would you call it like scolding narration from emma thompson that sounds like you're you're watching stranger than fiction part two yeah uh and it's just oh god it's just tone deaf is a really good way of putting it uh you know we we're using the internet literally all the time now and yeah, some people may be using it to cheat on their husbands or cheat on their wives or whatever. <clears throat> but this demonizes the whole thing. That was another funny thing that we laughed at was uh, was when they explained AshleyMadison.com. You heard people behind us going, <gasps> yeah. like gasping at the concept. And again, you're like, yeah, like do you, you don't know about this. Like, and, and Ashley Madison obviously product placement participated in this, you know, film. Yeah, yeah. they have no shame. Because <laughs> yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, their thing. But <laughs> but it, and. But it treats it as though the internet created this possibility yeah. when people have been cheating on <laughs> right. on each other for as long as there's been relationships. Yeah, it's that typical bullshit like the big bad internet's going to hurt you. Yeah, yeah that's the big thing. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, he, he totally missed the boat on this theme or the themes that he was trying to, to yeah. come across with. I got a chance to interview him in Austin. He was really like serious. He thought he made like a, you know, oh, like a 21st century for type. The, yeah. I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't like the term cautionary tale, but at the same time, that's what it was. I mean, there's no denying that. That's probably the nicest thing anyone's called it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then, like, there's the scene, and I don't even know what it's supposed to mean, where the kid who watches too much porn couldn't get it up for yeah. sex with the other teen girl. Yeah. Like, what? I don't even understand what the point of this scene is supposed to be. Because, like, first of all, no way. <laughs> and then he like microwaves a football. Yeah, he cuts a hole in a Nerf football to fuck it and warms it up and uh that old trick. <laughs> and then uh what's there's the really tiny girl who has anorexia. Oh my uh, god, who has like who has like anorexic photos pasted on her wall and the parents come in and JK Simmons is like, "Hmm, interesting. Here's your steak." <laughs> yeah. It's just a just a bad bad 
bad movie all around. Yeah, and, really terrible. And it's it's such a disappointment that it comes from someone like Jason Reitman who made great films before, yeah. and not so much Labor Day, but you know, Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. Um, even Juno has its defenders. I not me, but no, not me either. Uh, well, Up in the Air is an amazing movie. Yeah, it's oh, it sucked. All right, Kiko. What are we on? Number, uh, number three. three. Uh, number three for me was the worst sequel of the year. And that was uh, Dumb and Dumber 2. Also on my list. I just don't care. <laughs> I mean, I know. I, we talked about this a little earlier, but I just don't care. I just it. felt bad for everybody in it. I mean, they're yeah. tr- just like they're trying too hard. This is all. I mean, th- this is not. Oh, for sure, this is not all that um, Jeff Daniels has. Um, but uh, maybe it's all that. I don't know. Jim Carrey has. I think it's probably all. I think the only people that it's all they have is the Fairley brothers. Yeah, that's true. That that might be true. It's just it's this is one of the I gave two Fs this year. This was one of them. It's it is it is so unfunny that it's 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 embarrassing to watch. Like it really is embarrassing. Yeah, no, I exactly. Involved. I didn't understand like why they followed the same kind of uh blueprint as the first one. I mean, it just was lazy. Um the not not only were Jeff Daniels and 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 Jim Carrey unfunny, uh, that one girl that plays the daughter yeah. was just so bubbly and stupidly written. I mean, <laughs> there was nothing there was nothing humorous about any of their relationships or what they were trying to get across. Uh, Kathleen Turner. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. What Kathleen Turner? Yeah, that she was just. Well, I mean, I like the fact that they went back to Freda Felcher. I mean, that was probably. A very smart move on their part to go back to something that they talked about on the first one, but the way that they set it up and kind of go out and find the daughter is just you know what it needed. Um, the daughter, and this is what I think the daughter needed to be played by an actress playing against type, not some unknown. I think if and I know they had Jennifer Lawrence briefly as old Frida Felcher, but she backed out, right? Like they shot the part. But it needed somebody like with a name, I think, to make the performance to sell the performance better, like a better actress playing dumb. You know what I mean? Maybe. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that would have saved it, but I think it's kind of one of those things where you expect there to be a celebrity. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, nothing. I, I mean, nothing that they borrowed from the or they brought in from the first one really hit the mark. Like the there's a kid that with the bird, they brought the real actor and the kid, which never happens, which was cool. I mean. But they did nothing with that scene. Well, it was... that's the thing. I think that this movie was totally absent of any nostalgia at all. Um, it, yeah, it... just because you bring in something yeah. that was beloved you yeah. know, 20 years ago doesn't mean that it's automatically going to work just because you toss it in there. And I think that's sort of a microcosm of the movie itself. Just because you had a movie that worked well 20 years ago does not mean that when you bring it up to date, it's going to work in any capacity. So... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Your number two, Cody. Dumb and Dumber two. Oh. Yeah. All right. Mine is uh, Surviving Christmas, and that's also my number two. Uh, the only reason I mentioned this before, the only reason it's not my worst film of the year, is because it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. It kind of surprised you there. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't indict people that aren't hardcore Christians, mm-hmm. which I totally thought it was going to do. But to call this a movie is really generous. I think. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's barely an hour and twenty minutes long. Ten of those minutes are credits at the end, and the other the ten before that are just a dance sequence. Uh, it's just, <clears throat> it's it's a it's a thirty minute 
church DVD blown up into an hour and 20 minute quote movie. Yeah. That uh, that evangelical churches can show during Christmas time when the pastor's out sick. I don't know. <laughs> or it's, you know, it's like, hey, we're selling this DVD that Kirk Cameron made. Right. You know, for 10 bucks, you know, all the proceeds go to whatever. I don't know. But it just was, <clears throat> I don't, you interviewed Kirk Cameron for this, right? <laughs> and it didn't go. Well, it didn't go. I mean, I wanted to challenge him on issues, but he and didn't he really want to. Right? Yeah, he just t- talked to him. I mean, he's he's a great salesman. He he knows the audience he wants to hit, and he's like Joel Olstein. See, kind I don't of... know. I don't know anything about Joel Osteen, but I, I Kirk Cameron strikes me as more of a shyster. Uh, yeah, but I mean, because he's playing on his celebrity, you know, his his you know. He can release these quote movies because of who he was before, right? And that if he doesn't, uh, if it doesn't hit, like famously, this movie bombed uh, with critics, and I guess it had a two week box office release. But he famously asked for (laughs) for uh, supporters on Facebook to come out and rate it on Rotten Tomatoes Higher. higher. And it totally backfired, and trolls came out in droves and sent this to the bottom of the list. I think it's even the worst rated movie on IMDb now. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, and it's not the problem with these movies. And we talked about this when we talked, when we was reviewed it was that they have the sense that you're critiquing them for their construction and how they work as movies. People automatically equate that with you attacking Christianity. Right. And it's such a difficult road to, to travel because this movie is a terrible movie. Right. I don't give a shit about its message. Right. Uh, it's just not a good movie. And uh, If you want to call it that in the first place. Right. It's but- just poorly put together. Uh, it's, it's, it's smug. Oh, he's so fucking smug. I mean, he's, I've seen him smug before, but in this movie, his face annoyed me. I wanted to punch him in it. But, you know, I don't – if you want to teach Christians about the tenets of Christianity, it's fine with me. I don't care. I'm not – I don't subscribe to that, but I don't give a shit yeah. either way. But when you – when it's put together in such a such a terrible package, uh, I'm going to say it's a shitty movie and, you know, I don't have an agenda behind that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just – it was a pompous way to do it and he, he he's a that kind of person. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be many more of these types of films that come out. Um, from him, so I don't know. We'll see. All right. I'm kind of uh, disappointed that we didn't see. We none of not, n- neither are all of us didn't see, or not even one of us have saw have seen um, Left Behind, which he was yeah. famously uh, famously known for back in the '90s. Yeah, re- and now remade by Nick Cage because that's been on. I I don't really like making top t- top uh, worst movies of the year list because I know we haven't seen everything. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, well, it's the worst movie you saw. Yeah. Oh. All right. Let's move on. Well, let me do my number one because oh. it's already uh, done and it's identical. Okay. Yeah. We we need to see this movie yeah. together. Okay. Uh, Cody, you and I share number one, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, it is Lucy. <laughs> uh, God, I don't even know. Strangely divisive. Yes. Surprisingly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people really dug this movie. Um, I don't know what they were on or what happened. Maybe they were all getting like foot massages during the movie <laughs> or, or something. Maybe they were heavily sedated. Maybe they saw the naked Scarlett Johansson cut of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, just what a 
dud. Like what a what like here's the difference between the identical, which is a terrible terrible movie, and and Lucy. The identical was fun to watch. It was fun in its badness. Mm-hmm. You could watch it and, and like point and laugh at it and and, and sort of <coughs> make fun of it at, at its expense. Lucy to me is the worst kind of bad movie because it was excruciating to watch. Um, it was it was none of it was good. It was uh, it was uh, it was one. It was I guess it was like uh, the story was so convoluted. Um, the, the the sequences were just it's just a movie that has just no brain at all. <laughs> like it's there's no it's not smart in any sense of the word. It's um it's L- director Luc Besson. Yeah, kind of this that Euro trashy style that he's known for. Mostly he's done producing lately with stuff like Taken, mm-hmm. uh, where it's just garbagey. And there's I mentioned this before, but it's always filled with ugly, ugly people. Ugly dudes, just fucking ugly French guys, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Morgan Freeman couldn't be more detached from this if he was just on Facetime, <laughs> yeah, uh, performing this role. And he gets saddled with like the stupid exposition at the end. Um, Scarlett Johansson, I guess, is fine. Just the storyline, I just couldn't take it. And cutting to like wild animals and lots uh, of stock footage. Um, her becoming a flash drive at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. probably the worst. It was probably the worst ending of a movie I've seen all year. But there's a lot of people that really dug this movie, and I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I was watching this, and like halfway through, I was like, "This is the worst movie I've seen this year." Well, and then it takes a turn, uh, like it takes that purgatory turn, where so she's like traveling through time and space. Yeah, where yeah. where I looked down at you, and I was just like. You looked down at me? Well, I looked over at you. <laughs> you were like, it's, it'll be okay. Why are you on the floor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get up. And I, I was just like, I was just like, the, the whole movie, I just had like my mouth open, just like. Oh, because you were like two seats away from yeah. me. That's what you, okay, I, yeah. see what, I forgot we weren't sitting side by side. And I was like, I, I just yeah. shook my head and I was like, what, what is it? What are we watching right now? God. Like, you know, this movie made the uh, Richard Corliss's top 10 list he's a film critic made a ton of money too film critic for time magazine yeah no i know and it's there's so many people i've seen it on a few top 10 lists around the internet um i don't know what it is they must be taking it on a different level i i mean i don't know i took it totally face value i guess on a different level like what like like it was supposed to be kind of cheesy yeah like like b movie level i I don't know. know i i mean i guess it's a positive in that it's an action movie starring a female that made a ton of money, but it's just I hated this movie. I hated it so much. Yeah, it was it's it was it was it was the kind of bad movie that you just you just you're just ready for it to end. You just I, I at some point at some point towards the middle, you're like I can't I can't take this. And anymore. it's short too. It's yeah. like an hour and a half. Yeah, and I've only I I I I don't know if I've ever walked out of a movie, and if I didn't have to do this critic thing, I would <laughs> I would have been so out of there. Yeah. I would have been gone. It was bad. And I never ever walk out of movies or have the urge to really, but this one, I wanted to leave. I just, I've never walked out of a movie I've paid for, or that I've. Well, I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie at a theater, but I've turned them off. At I've home. turned them off at home, but never out of a theater. Yeah, this was that bad. Yeah, to me. to me, to me, the worst movie I've seen in five years. the The last movie I can think of that made me feel this way was uh, the Box, the Richard <laughs> Kelly movie. That was the last movie I had such a an, an averse like. <laughs> Like visceral hate for. Did you ever see Southland Tales? I didn't. No. Ooh. Bad. 
that is a fucking terrible train wreck of a weird movie. You seen <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. That's, uh, that was The his, Rock. The Rock. Um, Justin Timberlake. Scott. Sean William Scott. Uh, like Sherry O'Terry. Like just this. I mean, it was. Oh, God. I think I got about halfway through it and I had to stop. It's it's that bad. Kevin Smith in old man wizard makeup. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Anyway, worst movie of the year for me, Lucy. Same for you, Cody. Yeah. Chico the Identical. And that's it. That's our bottom five. Yep. And that does it for our top ten bottom five show. Uh, what do we have next week? We have Selma. We have Selma. We have uh, <coughs> The Return of P.T. Anderson in oh, Inherent and Vice. I finally need to watch that. <laughs> that's another. That's a movie I've gotten about 45 minutes into and I have to stop. Oh, yeah. Because it's just too... You're going to start it again, right? You have to yeah, start I got to start it over. There's again. also... I don't think we'll... Probably, we probably won't get to it, but Taken 3 is open next week. I just... I don't want to do that. <laughs> they're not screening it for, for Yeah, critics. they're not screening it for us. I haven't seen Taken 2. Yeah. Uh, I kind of dig the first one in, yeah, a, in sure. a trashy, junk Luke way. way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Taken 3. And then uh, that's it, right? Yeah, it, it's, it we're, it's a lot of stuff that you've you've seen on lists that's going to trickle in. Yeah, we'll have the slow trickle of that. Um, I think that the first the the first movie that we'll have of 2015 will probably be uh, like maybe Black Hat will be the first. Um, it's not going to be a good movie. No, very <laughs> few of them will be in, in January. These are going to be tough episodes to get through. Tough episodes, <laughs> tough months. Yeah, I get so depressed in January. Because you're finally getting to go back out to the theater, first of all. That's one of the things that happens yeah, in I December. Been, I haven't been in the theater in maybe a month. It's been a while. Mm. Uh, probably the, since The Hobbit. Yeah. The Hobbit was the last theatrical thing I saw, and that's been a few I, weeks I ago already. that's it for me, too. Um, and it's going to, by the time we get back to actually seeing films in the theater, it's going to be just junk for for a while. And then Jupiter Ascending, finally. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> I, heard, I heard that Kingsman is good. Oh yeah, uh, and they pushed Paddington back. Yeah, uh, Paddington's gotten great reviews. Yeah, uh, overseas. Uh, yeah, I hope they screen that for us. That that's that's another thing that uh, I think might be just a British thing that people like, and not so much here. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that's what's coming up. Are you guys gonna go see Selma again? I'm going to. Uh, no, I'm not. It's it's not fresh enough for me. It's been what weird. to talk about it? Yeah. Oh no, I can talk about it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, next week we will be at the uh, Houston Film Critics Society yeah. uh, awards show. We'll be able to we'll be able to um, give you who won those awards that we were able to vote on. We will we be presenting, of. yeah, uh, categories. If you're in the Houston area, yeah, if you're in Houston, it's at the Sundance Cinemas from four to six p.m. on Saturday, the January tenth, tenth, and I think it's free free admission, right? I don't know. That's what I had heard. We are driving to Houston on yeah. Saturday. What do you what, what do you guys? I'm presenting technical achievement. We're doing song. I'm doing a best documentary. <laughs> a word that I can't say, and I, I know. I thought of that really when, when I saw them docs. Best docs, and best wear docs. your Doc Martens. There you go. Be like these may be the best docs I've got, <laughs> but the best docs of the year are. <laughs> I just wrote your patter for you. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so we got to write our own patter. Did you know that? Yeah. What are you gonna do? I'm just gonna. I'm just going straight forward. Oh, you gotta be funny. Yeah, but I don't know how to. Like, I have the worst one because I have to do technical achievement where there were only three nominees. Uh, then you show up dressed like a fucking ape. Yeah, I'll just show, up, show up in motion capture. Oh, yeah. that'd be cool. Like, that, have, like dots all over you. You yeah. should totally do that. You want to switch? I'll fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, if you want. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like, 
Like with like the tennis or the golf balls or whatever, and like a like a GoPro in front of your face. <laughs> Heck <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Maybe maybe Kiko and I will switch, and he'll do the. Oh uh, no, I want to do it now. You do? You want to get in tights? I don't want to wear tights. But <laughs> well, that's what oh, you're yeah. just gonna wear the balls on your face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I don't know. I got songs. So that song is fine. You need to sing. I will sing everything. It. I will do it. Cool. So I need to write some some music. Some song. You need to come up with like a keytar that you can bring with you. That... A guitar? No, a keytar. Oh, there is a keytar. Oh, the, the keytar. Oh. You have a keytar, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Shit. It's <laughs> done. It's on. Done. All right. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Call us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Yeah, and if you, if you follow us on, or like us on Facebook... Chime in in the comment section and let us know about what you think of our top ten list. Let us know what's on yours, what you think we missed. Uh, let us know if you think liking our own posts is yeah. uh, bad form. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. Well, I don't because I'm trying to, you know, for marketing reasons. Or not marketing, but advertising, whatever. Promotional. Promotional. There you go. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.